Greetings, all you lovely people. Uh, last night, Thor from Once Upon a Saga, that's his project name, uh, came through to the lab last night and we, we held an indaba. Um, it was a fascinating story. Uh, Thor has embarked on a, <laughs> uh, a massive saga, a massive odyssey of traveling to every single country in the world um, without flying. So anything over land and sea is good. Uh, recently, well, actually a year ago, he was, he was actually trapped or luckily trapped in Hong Kong. He could have easily been caught on a container ship. But um, uh, as such, he's, uh, he's being grounded here. And he cannot get out of Hong Kong until the port authorities um, allow non-essential um, people onto uh, uh, container ships. Um, Thor is also a representative of the uh, uh, of the Danish Red Cross, and uh, he's quite knowledgeable about the Red Cross, which which is good because I don't have much knowledge of the Red Cross. Um, so he went about and and. Uh, enlightened me about the, the, the work that the Red Cross is doing throughout the world. It's absolutely fascinating. The conversation was, was really interesting. Um, oh, there's a lot of other stuff in there, but I think I gave you the sort of core uh, tidbits for you to see, for you to decide whether you wish to go through this conversation or not. Um, anyway, do support, uh, do support Thor on his uh, journey. And also, how about the Red Cross too? Hope you enjoy this. Three, two, one. Thor, how's Hello. it, buddy? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Brilliant. A friend of a friend uh, mentioned that there was an interesting person in town, okay. and then forwarded the number to me, and I. And, I and you couldn't you. get that person, so here I am. Say? And you couldn't get a hold of that person, so here I am. No, I couldn't. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Actually, you were the interesting person. Oh, it's kind of. But, you. but what's what's? I mean, uh, one of the uh, number two, the episode number two of what I of the interviews I've done was with a chap named Mike Spencer Baum. Yeah. Uh, have you met him? Do you know him? No, I haven't uh, met him, but I know of, of him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's rather legendary, isn't he? Yeah, he is. But but you're in a similar position. I mean, you you've been traveling to what some, what two hundred and two countries now? Uh, the target is two hundred and three, and I've reached one hundred and ninety four of them. Oh. Yeah, and I and got stuck in Hong Kong in January. And then COVID nails you. Yeah, and here we are in December. So. Yeah. yeah. What's the story? When did you start? So you're from Denmark. I'm from Denmark, yes, which is a tiny country in the northern part of Europe yeah. with about five and a half million people in comparison to Hong Kong's seven and a half million. So that's crazy. I grew up in a small village with about 1,200 people. So this is big city life. Um, yeah. Fast forward to when I got the idea was 2013. Yeah. I was reading an article and... Through that article, I found that no one in history has achieved to go to every country in the world completely without flying. Oh, uh, wait. Okay, so you're not just you're not just going to every single country in the world. No. You actually... <laughs> Jesus, you're not flying. 
Yeah, yeah. So, Good so God. that's the Good that's the God. ordeal with this. That's what makes it truly interesting, I guess. And numbers are a little bit uncertain, but uh, surely a bit more than two hundred people by now have been able to go to every country in the world. Mm-hmm. And one must stress that no matter how it's done, it's it doesn't come easy. Um, yeah. But the majority of the world, well, your passport certainly decides um, many things. But for the majority of the world, it's just you know you cross borders, you get your visas, and and so on. And then there are a few countries around the world that make it nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. And that's true for everyone. And then you take out the airplanes, and then it's overall impossible. How long have you been doing this? How, m- how long have you been on this like freaking odyssey? It started on the 10th of October 2013. So okay. we recently came across the seven-year marker, uh-huh. and it was set to take somewhere between three and a half and four years uh, uh-huh. to accomplish. And it's primarily trains vehicles yeah public transportation wherever possible so buses trains taxis minibuses ferries um i I get on board anything that floats so people if they invite me on board their their sailboat i'll I'll go with them (laughs) motorboats a high performance yacht i've been on a bunch of container ships on fishing boats shrimp trawlers (laughs) but the most normal part of the journey would be buses followed by trains right 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 and where did you start? I mean, uh, what, what, are, what are some of the interesting stories that you've, that you've come across during this, this long ordeal? I mean, those are two different questions, though. So I started, well, I know, I started I know. in Denmark yeah. and crossed the border to Germany. Mm. So I counted Denmark as number one <laughs> and then Germany as number two. And then I looked back at the border and realized I've never been further away from home than what I was because I said I wasn't going to go, go back home until I've been to every country in the world. So it's, it's a, how do I normally phrase this? It's a, it's a single journey to every single country in the world, or it's a journey to every single country in the world in an uh-huh. unbroken journey completely without flying. Uh-huh. Uh, so the idea is it's more than 24 hours in each country. That's the project minimum. Okay. And on average, I stay 12 days, 13 days in each country. Okay. I can't fly at any point and I cannot return home until I finish the project or quit. Okay. Yeah, the, the metric my brother and I have for, you know, whether, whether you are, have arrived in a country or not is whether you've taken a shit in it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I can tick that one off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. And then so basically you just did Europe and then from there, what, where are some of the most interesting places that you've been to? North Korea was interesting, Syria was interesting, Equatorial Guinea was interesting, um, Brazil was interesting. How do you handle diseases? Like if you get sick or something? Not, not well, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I get sick. I had malaria at one point, uh-huh. uh, cerebral malaria, that's where malaria gets to your brain. Oh, Jesus. And, um, it can be the end of you within a couple of days if you're not treated but there is treatment for it and um, I was in a lucky position um, mm. and, I, and I got help but mm-hmm. that was like a 12 day process where was that? I was in Western Africa in a country called Ghana yes Ghana and you can definitely get malaria in, in Ghana you can during the rain season you can get malaria mm. number of countries but I think the mosquito got me in Liberia uh, there was a night where 
I'm on a really small budget for this project, so I said I was going to do it on a 20 US dollar per day budget, which covers transportation, accommodation, okay. visas, and meals. And, and you ended up in Hong Kong, one of the most expensive cities in the world. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I get a lot of help from a lot of people. Uh, people are very supportive of what I do. But back then, I was looking for a place to stay at night, and, and that's a part of the world where nothing co or everything costs nothing, uh, nothing right. costs anything. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's $2 meals or $1 meals, and you get on a bus for a dollar or a couple of dollars, and this kind of stuff. You get a SIM card with uh, a few gigabytes of data for a few yeah. dollars. Or yeah. And they wanted 50 US dollars for me to stay at this place, and I was trying to bargain with them, and I was only going to be there for six or seven hours anyway. Yeah. And uh, they didn't, uh, there, there was no bargaining. I mean, like, I'm a North European guy and I must be a millionaire and, and all this. There's just no bargaining. The dollar signs are hanging above yeah, your head, sure. right? Walking dollar sign. <laughs> so then I walked away from there and I, I traveled with a hammock and I was looking for a place where to put that up. And I saw a gas station, which was well lit. And mm. there were a couple of guards and I asked them if I could stay there for the night. And they said yes. And there was nowhere to hang the hammock. So I just slept directly on the ground at this point. Uh, chance of getting four or five hours of sleep before the next bus and then onward and uh mosquitoes were just eating me throughout the night damn it so there's a yeah a gas station in the jungle in liberia i'm pretty sure that was that was it, that was w it. W what what is in your backpack your sort of like you know yeah the the you know the mainstay stuff but i i tried to pack in a way where i would have whatever i needed for every country every climate mm -hmm. And uh, there's a winter jacket, which I haven't had much use of. No. Um, there's lots of clothes. I wear mm. a uniform. So um, this is my project uniform with the project logo and sponsors oh, okay. and this kind okay. of stuff. And um, I have six of these uh, and I have underwear and clothing, this kind of stuff. I travel with some books. I have a hammock. I have a sleeping bag. I have a few tools. No mosquito net. Uh, I do. I do okay. have a mosquito net, which is fitted for the hammock. So if I can get the hammock up, I can put this mosquito net around it. <laughs> but there was nowhere to hang that hammock on that day. Um, what else do I have? Lots of electronics. I mean, like everything you have needs to get charged at some point. So I have lots of wires and this yeah. kind of stuff, uh, cables. Yeah. I suppose as you're doing the project, you have to sort of like, you know, um, make footage and you know keep everybody updated about your your progress try, kind of thing but i'm a relic the world has moved forward everything's video today and uh, it was video when i left home but i just didn't want to hear it and i still don't want to hear it <laughs> so <laughs> i take photos and i write a blog and i you know um i upload photos to social media and i do a little bit of video but i'm not a video kind of guy all right well this can be classified as yeah, yeah, it, sure. Right? I'll do the I'll do the grunt work, right? Yeah, yeah. good <laughs> you on just you. Just share the stories, right? Yeah. yeah, a lot of my video footage is something someone else did. Somebody else, yeah, right. <laughs> so, okay, wouldn't you say your hat is the most important thing? Yeah, sure. Yeah. The hat is iconic for um, my alter ego as Thor, traveling across the world, the man with the hat and the beard. What's the story there? Your name is actually Thor. Well, yeah, half my name is Thor. The other half is Bear. My name is Thor Bear, uh, but in Danish, which is Torbjörn. Okay. And uh, we used to be Vikings, if you go back a thousand years. And yes. that religion used to be our religion, which yes. is now called Norse mythology. And Thor was one of the main gods. And Thor was the strongest of all the gods. 
and uh, and we have all sorts of names that that carry that that he's strong or he's powerful. So Thor bear indicates that Thor is as strong as a bear. Mm -hmm. And when I left home, I introduced myself as Torbjorn, and people couldn't quite. They couldn't so, say that. And the Marvel movies were out and whatnot. So I went like, "Do you know who Thor is?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, Thor." <laughs> and I went like, "I'm Thor." I'm like, "You're Thor?" I said, "Yeah, I'm Thor." Where's your damn hammer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not everybody gets to see it. <laughs> so the beard is. I don't like shaving, and if I can get away with not shaving, I, I don't. And I have a fiance back home, and yeah. she doesn't accept a beard. But, and she's been out to see me a number of times, and every time she shows up, I shave. And uh, outside of that, I just let it grow. Okay, that means you haven't seen it for a good wee while. Yeah, eh? about 15 months now. Ah, oh, jeez, man. No, yeah. no, no, no. First thing she's going to ask is for that to go. When my <laughs> wife starts, when I start getting a bit too bushy, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine. No, she asks me now. Like, we're 8,000 kilometers <laughs> apart. She says, you should cut it. Like, it, it doesn't look nice. Trim, trim it, at least. You look like a caveman or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. I've heard a lot of different things. So, I mean, I, I have a few followers online. And, wow. uh, and they're sort of divided in two camps. Like, half of them, they say, get rid of it. <laughs> and the other half is, no, no, Vikings, stick with it. It looks <laughs> awesome. Keep it. So, it's all right between. Yeah. yeah. How is South America? I love South America. I think most people that have just the slightest bit of an uh, adventurous spirit within them, they love South America. I mean, South America is life. It is, it's, it's food and music oh. and it's oh. beautiful and people are, people are alive. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. So I didn't run into any danger in South America. That was, uh, I was warned <laughs> every country I went to in South America said, oh, you're fine as long as you're in our country, but don't go to the neighboring country. Like they, <laughs> they'll cut your head off. <laughs> and I went to the next country and they were like, no, you're fine here. This is brilliant. This is paradise. But where did you say you came from? I'm surprised you're still alive. You managed to survive. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, people were lovely and people were helpful. And yeah, South America. But South America was back in 2014. You know, that was early days yeah. in the project. So I left home and went to Western and Central Europe. Then yeah. I went over the North Atlantic right. on seven different ships and boats, fishing mm -hmm. boats, shrimp trawlers, whatnot, and made it to North America, Canada, mm. US, Mexico, down through Central America. Skipping South Iceland? America. I went to Iceland as well, yeah. That was in, in the wonderful. North Atlantic. Yeah. What a wonderful place. I yeah, love yeah. Iceland. Yeah, so when people, they say, what's your favorite country? I sort of dodged the question. I said, listen, <laughs> if I couldn't go home to Denmark and I had to pick another country, I would pick Iceland. And I, I have a number of reasons why that would be. I tend to agree with you. Yeah. We, we rented a, a 4x4 yeah. and drove around Iceland. Ah, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, there's a ring road. How long did that take? No, well, we only, well, not all of it, half of it. Okay. Half of it. I um, did that in a truck. I arrived yeah. in the eastern part and had to get to Reykjavik in the western. That was a 12-hour drive in a truck. Oof. Oof. Yeah, I proposed to my wife in yeah. Iceland. Oh, did um, you? I was rather nervous. He was sort of driving along and, and I was like, okay, where's, where's everything so beautiful? Yeah. Where's a great place? You know, mm -hmm. we saw like a place over there and we look at sort of like a mountain kind of thing. So, yeah. we, so we decided to go for a bit of a hike up there. And Probably a volcano. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Actually, I think the volcano was further up the mountain. This was one of those little sort of like outlets okay. down yeah. the way next to the water, I think. But yeah, that, that's, that's, that's where I proposed and yeah, I remember. Brilliant. Yeah. Good setting. 
Yeah, I, I still feel kind of nervous now. I think I'm talking about it, and this is already like four years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, Iceland was just unbelievable. The beauty of that place. Yeah. Um, it is. It's, yeah. it's a legendary place. And yeah. the spirit of the people as well. Yeah. It's a modern society, which I think a lot of people, they miss that. Yeah. They get the iPhones at the same time that the rest of the world does. Yeah. The yeah. movies and everything they need. Yeah. yeah. And then after Iceland, you sort of went over to North America. Yeah, so Canada? I went, I went from Scotland to Faroe Islands. And from Faroe Islands, I got oh, to Iceland. Nice. And from Iceland, I got to Greenland. From Greenland, I came back to Iceland to reach Canada. So after Scotland and Iceland... The rest of the world was downhill then. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, so eventually I ended up in South America and then made my way up north after mm. taking off the countries and and came through the Caribbean. And then when I left the Caribbean, I was done with the Western Hemisphere. So that was North America, Central America, South America and the Caribbean. And then I embarked on Africa. But you're skipping over so much. You're skipping over so much there. What about Argentina? What about Chile? Well, I was there. <laughs> I was there. Argentina, good meat, nice people. I uh, I went to Argentina twice within this project because for South America, I wanted to do a video. I had okay. this idea that I had to get into this video market and I needed to make a video which would go viral. <laughs> and I was trying to work out and people were doing these videos where they would have like a selfie stick and that, that yeah. would follow them around and... And as they go around themselves, it would change different locations. This kind of huh? stuff. like that's been done, and this has been done, and everything's been done, and the dancing has been done. So, so oh, that's right. Yeah. What about if I jump on one leg? What if I just bounce around on one leg and all the footage? Has that been done? I don't think that's been done. So I did that, and I made a video where I was jumping around in Ecuador, and then I was jumping around in Peru, and I was jumping, and then on, in front of different landmarks. And then my fiance came to visit me in Bolivia. And we traveled together to Chile. Mm. And I forgot about the jumping stuff in Chile. And then I crossed the border. I put her on an airplane in Santiago. She flew home. And I crossed, took a bus and crossed the border into Argentina. And went like, oh, I didn't do, I don't have any jumping on one leg footage from Chile. <laughs> and I was looking around. I just crossed the border. And I was looking around going like, no one's going to know. Like this, on one side or the other side of the mountain, no one's going to know. I might as well just do it here. I like, oh, but I don't want to be that guy. I want, I want my word is my bond. I don't know. So I got on a bus and I went back to Chile, back to Santiago before the sunset. I jumped around in front of different landmarks and then came back to Argentina again. Are you still doing Mendoza. this? Are you still jumping? No, no, that was just for South America. Then oh, I had okay. this idea that in, throughout the Caribbean, I, w I wanted to do video footage of people laughing. I thought that would be nice, you know, mm. like get this human spirit. People are having a good time laughing. Mm. And but it became forced. So when Why? I started doing that, well, I told people what I was going to do. And then people were really Think. engaged in trying <laughs> to laugh. Yeah, it was, it was too much or too little. It just it was fake. Yeah. And I did it for a couple of countries. I was like, this is not, that's not going to work. That's not the idea I had. Yeah. It needs more time. It needs to be approached in a different way. Mm. And then I stuck with the video thing for africa new concept again said i wanted to do some video footage of the traveling so the different modes of transportation mm. and in uh, in fast speed kind of so the video is 
two and a half minutes long and, and has all 54 countries and it's like buses and boats and this and that and so I had a, a good friend I met in Senegal mm. um, Aski he uh, he composed some music for it and it's perfect he's a genius and we put that together and put it on YouTube and that also did not go viral I never made anything that went viral <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I don't know how to do it I don't, I, no I don't, I don't think you need to you really yeah. don't just more of a body of knowledge and, and whoever's interested in you would, well, would find out. There, there are a lot of values within this project. And I do what want are to... What are they? In a second, I'll get it. But I, w I want to share those values. And oh. the larger my audience is, the, the wider a reach mm -hmm. I get with those values. And I think that's important. And then you look at people that are 14 years old and they have... 80,000 followers on Instagram or, or a cat that has a million followers this kind of thing. Like, what, what am I supposed to do? So I guess sometimes you can try a little bit too hard as well, but I mean, if something went viral that would definitely lift the project, or I, I don't know. So you have value, I mean this project is an easier way of seeing what I'm doing is to see it as three separate projects. Mm -hmm. So one is about the achievement to go to all the countries in an unbroken journey completely without flying. And that's already a full-time job. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of paperwork and that's a lot of time spent in transportation and that's a lot of time spent working out where's the bus terminal or which bus terminal do you take or which train and how do you get the tickets and uh, lots of logistics, lots of bureaucracy. And uh, that's, let's say that's one project. And that doesn't really benefit anyone else than me. Mm -hmm. You know, like most people would go like, it's a great story and who did you meet and what happened and what do you think of the world and so and so. But that's not enough for people to adapt the idea. It's like a cool guy to inv invite for something. And, uh, but, you know, so I'm traveling as a goodwill ambassador of the Danish Red Cross. And I've been uh, meeting up with the Red Cross globally. Red Cross and the Red Crescent. That's uh, two sides of the same coin. And I've met with them in 189 countries. So that's the world's largest humanitarian organization. And I've met with volunteers and with staff and I've gone out to see projects and uh, I've met with the beneficiaries. And I try to write down those stories and I've delivered more than 100 of such stories from uh, more than 100 countries to the Danish Red Cross. On top of that, uh, we've been raising funds and raising awareness and inspiring the volunteers saying like, look, if I can do what I'm doing and not give up and not fold and not go home, then imagine what you can do and imagine what you can do when you work together. So mm. you have four or five volunteers and you get the synergy from that. Imagine mm. what you're able to accomplish. And that does help them um, focus on, on humanitarian work and, and to get stuff done. And sometimes the boost is really, really needed. So that's the second part of the project. You have the achievement, every country without flying. Then you have the Red Cross humanitarian element. And that's sort of for everyone. You know, the, the more money we can send towards the Red Cross, the, the better it is. Like they, that all gets converted into helping the most vulnerable people on this planet. And that's truly important. Um, but yeah, so one, two, and the third one would be positive promotion of every country in the world. And that happened after a couple of weeks of traveling mm. so i left home going i'm gonna be that guy who went to all the countries without flying that's what i care about 
where's the next bus, where's the next train, go, 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 go. And after a couple of weeks of doing that, I was a bit exhausted, but I was also surprised about what I had seen, what I have encountered. And I was going through countries I've heard about, or I've seen them in a movie, or stuff like this. And I was just wondering how my perception of these countries could be so wrong. It's sort of like the Borat kind of movies and mm. you see Kazakhstan and you think that's Kazakhstan and you go and you see what Kazakhstan is and you go like, oh, I'm an idiot. That was a movie. And of course, <laughs> that is a, a comedy. You know? So that was, yeah, so I went through a lot of countries and I really felt like I'm a somewhat well-educated guy and I had traveled a lot before I embarked on this project. I've seen a lot. And I didn't know that Bulgaria was like that. I didn't know Romania was like that. I didn't know that Czech Republic was like that. I didn't, there was many things that surprised me as I went through these countries. And I went, well, if I don't know, maybe other people don't know. Mm. And then I sort of thought about it and came to the conclusion that most of the world is either promoted extremely negatively. Uh, most media, that's what, gets people to watch and that's what people they find interesting quite often if something's blown up or people have died or there's a war or conflict or a disease or, or something else and then you also get these people that look at their Instagram profiles and it's them it's a beautiful person standing on a beautiful mountain going like <laughs> and, and none of those two pictures really represent the countries and the more I went through countries and the more people I met and the more that I saw, the more I just realized that people are just people and we're all sort of trying to do the same thing. Yeah. You know, we get stuck in traffic and we try to finish our educations and keep our jobs and raise children. We want to go dance and we want to drink a beer or we want to smoke some shisha. We, people just being people. And I felt like that was not being promoted enough. And I sort of took that upon myself to say, listen, this is the more normal perspective of, of life. So I'm happy to show a photo of an ordinary street. And then people somewhere else on this planet can look at that photo and say, oh, that's what the cars look like. Or that's what people are wearing. Or it's a clean street or it's dirty or there's sidewalks or there are no sidewalks or the mountains in the background. Or what does it look like? Is it uniform? Is it a beautiful, well-designed city? Or is, is every house unique and everything's different? And, and that goes for a lot of the stuff I share. I've been stuck in Hong Kong for nearly a year, so I'm just, I do a lot of hiking. I share a lot of hiking photos now. <laughs> but but that's, that's a really important element of this project. And sometimes it's the most important element of what I do, for me at least. And I, let, I get a lot of good feedback from people that are invested saying that it's nice to see that people fall in love in Syria and get married or that people have smartphones um, in Somalia and uh, take selfies and upload them to Facebook and Instagram or TikTok or wherever people they do today that all around the world people were watching Game of Thrones it didn't matter where I went when that was going everyone was watching Game of Thrones no everyone but it really felt like that was a theme everyone was talking about Donald Trump so they were talking about Donald Trump before he got elected. Do you think it's a joke? Do you think he really wants to be president? Blah, blah, blah. It's never going to happen. This is ridiculous. And he got elected. And then the people were divided in two camps. Uh, he's a messiah. He's going to solve all our problems. Or like, how did this happen? This is the end of the world. And we're still talking about Donald Trump. 
and that's a universal topic. It does, you can go to the smallest villages and people will go, Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think that shows humanity. I really think that shows that you can go around the world and you can seek out that tribe where they put that in their lip or that in their this and they color yeah. themselves or they walk around naked. But that's not normality. That's normality for that tribe or a small percentage. But the majority, I mean, you're from South Africa. I mean, the reputation of South Africa is uh, go, you die. Like someone's going to rob and murder you. And uh, I went and had a great time in South Africa. And I loved the wine and the beer and the meat. And I went across the nation and I went like, you could film every movie I've ever seen somewhere in South Africa. Like it just changes over and over from the fields to the it's mountains true. and the lakes and it's the coastline. So and and people were kind and no matter i mean i went to some dodgy places in south africa and the people yeah. i met they were all warning me against other people <laughs> <laughs> but nobody did i went with the subway in uh, pretoria and i arrived to where i was staying for the night and yeah. this woman was like how did you get here do you already have an, an uber number or a driver you trust and i took the subway and you took the subway <laughs> nobody takes this up and people were staring at me but like people were just you know I've never, I've never got into a bus where everyone was a terrorist and I never went to a country where everybody was sick. Like these things do not exist yeah. around the world. People are trying to make the best of whichever little corner they have yeah. and yeah. they're trying to protect their neighbors and their family and their loved ones. And yeah. they listen to the same music and yeah. some, some places they listen to their own music plus the international music. I mean, traveling again, Africa, I, I can speak forever about Africa. I spent two years and three months going through that massive continent. And uh, Africa represents more than a quarter of the world's country. So yeah. it's not a bad place to end up uh, talking. You know, there's, there's a lot to talk about. But, but something I really, when I, when I got to Central Africa, and I was listening to the music and I can't hear the difference. I can't hear about the difference between what we're playing in the discotheques in Denmark or what they're playing in London or somewhere else. Really? Uh, yeah, Rihanna and this kind of stuff. And I mean, there was a great beat. Oh, there see. was a well-produced music. Yeah. I mean, like, if this is a hit in, in Cameroon or if this is a hit in Nigeria, why wouldn't this be a hit in, in, across Europe? Uh, and it just isn't. It, the, the music just sort of doesn't spread in the same way. It's like, oh, we praise Africa for having all this culture and diversity and so on. We just don't want to import it. Like they, we go to Africa for it, but uh, we have our own. And it's a weird, weird, weird thing. Um, but yeah, people being people, people dating, people spend so much time on thinking about the other sex or the same sex <laughs> or whatever people they do and working out how, what they can say, what will work and what yeah. they should wear. People care about which belt they have on and what kind of shoes and what their hair looks like. It's a big, big thing on this planet. And mothers, they love their children. And you know, that's a universal thing. Uh, everywhere around the world, a mother wants her children to grow up and have a better life than what they had themselves. And opportunities, good friends, good food, good education, uh, mm. you know. I was chatting with Mike Spencer Bowen, and he was mentioned. He was talking about the effects of COVID, yeah, um, in the world, and he was saying that um, whenever there's like a massive uh, calamity or something in the in the first world countries, what happens is it it sort of percolates down into into the developing countries, right. and as a result, uh, he was saying that hundreds of thousands of people can die 
you, you actually, he says you can see a noticeable um, deterioration in, in the environments around them. Have you come across some similar sort of thing? Well, mind you, you haven't really traveled during COVID. I traveled during Ebola. But yeah, you did. Um, yeah. And other, and other yeah, you know. I was listening to the BBC this morning and uh, there was a reporter saying that normally when we have these big events like, uh, like for the US with 9-11 which sh shook the world and, and changed mm. the world forever um, that unifies people and with COVID-19 it seems like it hasn't really done that it did in the beginning people were like we're all in the same boat we're all dealing with the same thing you know we can all get this this can harm us and, but across the US uh, the, the, this reporter was arguing that that's a clear divide you can you can largely see who's a republic uh, republican and who's a democrat based on if they're wearing a mask or not mm. largely like some republicans will definitely wear a mask and some democrats will not but, but it's an interesting perspective that this didn't unify that it, this could that's a large country that's 320 330 million people and that covid-19 worked as a point of division mm. and there's certainly something called covid fatigue and sure we've been ahead of the curve here in in hong kong um, we we were wearing masks long before anyone else and uh, and there was COVID fatigue here in Hong Kong as well. You could see people as it was the police wasn't around, so they would maybe take the mask off or just pull it down below their nose and yeah. this kind of stuff. And, and people want to get on with their lives. And I had a, I was talking to someone today, um, and we were just talking about. I fully believe in this virus that it exists that it's a real thing that it's harmful and that we need to do something about it that we need to you know a lot of a lot of these uh, hand washing and wearing masks and distancing ourselves and I do believe that works and that buys time for those people that are much more clever than what we are can go out and solve the problem for us with vaccines and that seems to be the case now the vaccines are rolling out and we need to take the vaccine so that we can get herd immunity and all this stuff I believe in that. I do see where um, I do see where people are coming from with conspiracy theories, uh, saying that this is nothing. Like this is just something they're pulling over. Our because I have a vast network, and I do not know of anyone who's been seriously ill from COVID nineteen and went to the hospital and was a close call. And I do not know of anyone who has died from this and but in my personal circles i read about them and i see it on the news and so on but i just go like well, i have a vast network and i don't know of anyone so and so and then she said the one i met with today she said um she does know she knows people who have been hospitalized for longer periods and she knows people who are dead because so of covid19 as well and that's no we we agreed that it's a horrible thing to say but it's sort of good to hear you know mm. it's, it's a reminder that this is something we need to deal with. Yeah. And I wonder if we did nothing, how many would then die? I mean, we we're doing all these things and we're not very good at it. We had one job and that was just to buy time for the scientists so they could develop a vaccine and then someone can produce and distribute it. And that's it. Our job was to keep it at bay. And we messed it up completely. You look at, again, the, the US, uh, the UK and a number of countries has just gone haywire 
Yeah. And it's not really unifying. It's more like, I guess it's unified in, in hate, almost, where people are going like, I want this to be over. Do you want it to be over? Yeah, I want it to be over. Let's, this should be over. Yeah. I wonder how much, can we take off the earphones? Because this, there's an echo that's going on here, which is, yeah. I'm finding to be rather, Sure. something, it's, uh, it's maybe some technical thing I need to work on, but okay. at least now I can actually hear you without that damn yeah, echo. Sure. Um, yeah, uh, I, I wonder how how much this uh, the, the trust has been broken with the, with the average person. Um, you know, we had the general surgeon in the United States saying, um, "Don't wear masks." Yeah. You know, so so like when, when you when you come across and you start giving out really false information or something along these lines, the general populace, you know, when they start seeing dithering in supposed um, politicians who are being informed by, you know, people a lot smarter than us yeah. and then they're dithering and then, and then as a result, people lose trust in this. It, it's, it's kind of concerning. But then, of course, I mean, there's going to be all these groups of people which, you know, stupid is as stupid does, man. I mean, there are plenty of people that believe that the <laughs> earth is flat. <laughs> yeah, all right. No. I do not believe the Earth is flat. I've seen a lot of it. <laughs> but, <laughs> hey. uh, the, the thing with the internet today yeah. is that no matter what you think, you're able to go out and find support. Yeah. If you believe that there's a civilization on the other side of the moon, yeah. then there are books about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't Hollow used Earth. to be like that. Uh, you, used to, you used to be crazy yeah, yeah. on your own. Yeah. If, if your opinion, and sometimes you might be right, you know, Sometimes yeah. you might think of something and, and be right, and then everyone would ridicule you. But there is plenty of stuff today where people do not deserve that voice. It's <laughs> like that's just it's destructive for the rest of us. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know who should be. <laughs> Social media plays a large role today, and I think we see that across. Um, yeah, like the like the politics again and and how much power politicians are able to gain based on politics or based on social media and then um everyone has a voice so it doesn't matter if you're telling the truth or not you can get hundreds or hundreds of thousands or millions of likes if it plays into what they want to hear and it intensifies the and debate. that reinforces them to it sort of say more it, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it is a strange time we're living in. We didn't have any, like, you and I were both old enough to have had childhoods where there was no smartphone, there was oh no yeah. Facebook, there was no oh YouTube, yeah. there was no Google, there was no, you wanted to know, no. go to the library. <laughs> you know, you wanted to see your friend, get on your bike and ride over there. Travel to a country, you know, fold out <laughs> maps, you know. <laughs> no, like, That's how you did it. <laughs> and, and all of this has just come to us and, I mean... We hit the ground running, yeah. and we're trying to keep up. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, so I run social media, and sometimes I wonder: Am I a, a dictator within my own little kingdom? Because why would I, you see it that way? I choose what to share. I choose. What's wrong with that? I I choose what is what the truth is. Okay. I choose what Hong Kong is on okay. my social media. Okay. So if someone says you should. You should tell this story. I'll, I, I can go, no, this is the story I want to tell. 
and then you can have thousands of followers and they've maybe never been to Hong Kong mm. and they see my story. And then if someone comments or posts links or something like this, which contradicts what I believe, then I can ban them, I can block them, I can remove them immediately so that anyone else who's following will never see that there's a, another voice. That's not how I run my social media, you know. but, but I could do that. And I imagine a lot of people do that. Like they have their voice of reason and they're telling their story and people latch on and that becomes the truth. Yeah, I sort of design these, these systems and, and I, I, I think it's a good thing to be able to block somebody. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, if, if you're, for example, if you do something, let's say you're, you're doing your Red Cross thing and, and a group of people just launch this, this all-out attack on, on this, this thing. And, you know, the, 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 the signal-to-noise ratio drops massively. Yeah. It's like, you know, like, dude, <laughs> I don't have time to deal with all this crap. Just block it. And, and like on Twitter, too, I, like I, I don't have a problem blocking anybody who's rather rancid and, and uh, really nasty. I have no problems doing that. I haven't done it. Or mute them. Yeah, mute. I've, fine. Got, I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I haven't really, I think I might have blocked a few people over the years, but generally I, I have a very loyal following. It's a humble. Yeah. I don't have millions of followers, but they are loyal. Uh, they are supportive and some of them been following for years and they, they mm. see what I've done and who I've met and mm. how kind people have treated me and, and so on. So if an outside voice comes in and criticizes me, oh, okay. then the sharks attack. I, I can stand back. Oh, you mean your community will attack? Yeah, they will, okay. they will defend me. This oh, happened okay. yesterday. I did a post yesterday where... I'd gone on top of, I finished going on top of the 20 highest peaks here in Hong Kong. Yeah. So I set that as a side goal here in uh -huh. Hong Kong. And I finished that on December 18th. And then I decided to post it yesterday. And well, I, there have been a few posts throughout the months going like, yeah, I'm doing this. I've reached 15 peaks. I've reached 18 peaks. So, so yesterday I posted, done with all 20. Mount Everest is 8,848. When you add the numbers from these 20 mountains, then that reaches. 14,000 meters or 14 yeah. kilometers or accumulative it's more than Everest here are all the mountain names here are all the heights boom post I was going excited going like achievement and wonderful <laughs> and a nice photo and mountains in Hong Kong and so on <laughs> and the first comment was from a guy who went enough about fucking Hong Kong <laughs> I'm not gonna follow anymore oh, and I was on. looking at that comment <laughs> and, and I was like well first of all I'm not forcing you to follow like if you don't want to follow just leave i don't know what's up yeah, with the, what's up yeah. with the comment but then i decided to reply to him in such a way that i said like what do you want me to do like i, I arrived here on the 28th of january and pretty quickly things escalated i've been stuck here ever since like the border to macau is closed and has been closed all this time yeah. i can't go to mainland china i can't get on a ship like what am i gonna do I think I'm showing endurance and, and persistence. I'm here, I'm sticking to it, even though mm. it would be so much easier to say, who cares, and then go home and be with my fiance. I think I'm bringing my country honor by representing my nation and mm. interviews and talks and people I meet with and, and behaving in, 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 in a nice, uh, clean cut way, mm -hmm. uh, trying, to be, trying to be a good guy as much as I can. And um, I'm trying to show people the world for 
how I see it through my eyes and mm. with, you know you know I'm promoting flora and fauna and people and cultures and food and and, and all of this and so on I've, I've had malaria I came back from that I've tons tons of headaches throughout all of this but here I am and which is something that inspires and motivates people and then I said but if if you want to leave um, thank you for following as long as you did mm. and then people attacked um, not me they attacked him and uh, that post that I did like my comment got more likes than the entire post I think and, and then mm. People were so supportive, sending me messages and never give up. And what you're doing is amazing and uh, really encouraging messages. Mm, mm. And then they were hating on that guy. And to, to a point where I was going, should I stop this? Because this <laughs> is not. Uh. And then a few comments down, that guy went like, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know where that came from. Of course, I'll continue following you. What you're doing mm. is admirable. And then that post of his got a lot of likes and people going like it really takes a man to admit when when they're wrong and this mm, kind of mm, stuff mm. so it was really interesting kind of a string of, uh, <laughs> of information in social media but it did go to show how supportive my my community is yeah. yeah yeah but the feedback loops are also so quick you know like if if you're in a position of you know you make a comment on these sorts of things you can be simple likes can be taken as like you know real sort of like acknowledgements from individuals. I don't think we're wired this way. Do you know what I mean? We're yeah. not wired to interact with hundreds of thousands of people at once yeah. at the same time. Or, or, or what do you on, think on about this? What do you think about this? What yeah. do you think about this? Uh, like, not like, like yeah, share, exactly. do yeah. this, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 we need to rewire something on how to, how to handle these sorts of things. It's not going backwards. No. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah. it isn't. No, it isn't. Elon Musk is working on the Neuralink, isn't he? So you'll just get it straight into your brain. Like, yeah. Do you like this? Do you like that? Do you want to yeah. be friends with this one? Do you want to do this? Do you want to buy these underpants? Do you want to? I'm not so sure it's about that. It's it's more about increasing the bandwidth, like um, uh, between between. That's the beginning. <laughs> where, do you, where do you think it goes when computers can yeah that's true can engage yeah. directly with your it's brain it's going to be the same old human stuff yeah, just yeah. you know satisfying the limbic system essentially you'll have some <laughs> hacker in the basement who just shuts your brain down eventually yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus no yeah as, as somebody who does technology like that that sort of stuff really kind of makes me a little bit nervous I, I would prefer maybe not to have it yeah. Maybe, maybe we're being fools. Maybe it's true that they will work at like you'll get better eyesight or they'll be able to fix brain damage and they'll do <laughs> all of these things that they say they would be able to do. Oh, let's see. It's remarkable. If you look how much you can replace from the human body. So once in a while I get these photos or small videos where they show you get a bypass operation and you get a new leg and a new hip. Right, and right, new right. This and Bionics. And yeah, yeah well, it is incredible how much you can remove and replace from a human being. Right, you right, start right, debating right. how much of you is in that body. <laughs> <laughs> so why not mess with the brain as well? You know, we already do with uh, pharmaceuticals and so on. Yeah, before you know, it's the ghost in the shell where everything uh, but the brain has been replaced. <laughs> Tell me about uh, the the Red Cross in uh, the Red Cross. The yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, globally, what sort of like projects are they working on what sort of um like, yeah, I, mean, like I don't everything. know too much about it so I, yeah no no it would be it's, good a, to it's know. a good question but it's just like well you know I, I mean, I, one bite at a time right here's here's my journey through it I knew that they dealt with humanitarian work I knew that it was a 
a force for good on this planet. I, I supported them on and off, if they, donations, this kind of stuff. And then uh, I kicked off this project and became a goodwill ambassador of the Danish Red Cross. And I was like, that's fine. That's good for the project. That's it's good branding as well. It gives something extra. If I lack motivation at some point, maybe that will be able to motivate me to continue. And so mm. that's sort of where I came from right from the beginning. Well, like, it's a good thing. I'm not like those people. Those are people that dedicate their entire lives to helping other people and, and doing humanitarian work on a day to day basis. That's not who I am. I am the kind of guy who will help raise funds and give them the means to continue doing humanitarian work. Mm. I'm, I'm happy to give them a voice uh, through what I do now and, and interviews and social media, give them visibility. But those are different people for me. Those are people who have such a huge heart and they truly believe in that we should do whatever we have in our power to help those less fortunate people on this planet, which I believe is true. But there's a big step between <laughs> believing that's true and going out and spending your entire life doing that. And those people, they do that. The volunteers, they do that. The employees, they do that. The delegates, they do that. So then I met with the Red Cross in Germany and I talked to them about their activities and what they do. And it turned out there was some Chinese, um, Chinese medicine uh, involved in some of their projects uh, that uh, someone had a connection and thought it might work and might be able to help someone. And they were like, yeah, okay, we'll see if we can. And they funded that and it did work and it helped some people. And Across Germany, people drown, and the Red Cross is a big part of saving people out of the rivers and lakes. And they don't have a long coastline, but they do have some long rivers, and, and so on. They have, Germany's got mountains. You so mean getting the dead bodies back to the families? Well, that if people do die, but also right. just rescuing people who fall in and oh, drown and resuscitating people, or, okay. or, or getting to them before it gets that far. Okay. Uh, Coast guards and, and that okay. kind of stuff. And they've got uh, Bergdienst, which is a um, mountain, uh, mountain patrol. Right. Hikers get up there and they rescue hikers or that they get into accidents or get lost and this kind of stuff. They've got uh, all the refugees that uh, Germany has been so wonderfully accommodating to take. Uh -huh. I mean, they, they took up close to a million refugees from Syria a few years ago. Yeah. In, in a country with, with 80 million people. Um, and, you know, that's, there's, that's not a smooth transition, you know, it mm. needs help and the Red Cross is there to help and help with paperwork and assist people. And my goodness, the amount of things. And that, that was just Germany. And then I went to the Netherlands and then I spoke to them and they just developed an app and they were really proud about it. And uh, this is a first aid app and whatever situation you get yourself into, someone breaks a, a leg or the heart stops ticking or whatever, go to the app and you can really easily find out what you're supposed to do. So mm. maybe not everyone feels that they have strong legs within first aid. Their first aid capa capabilities have, have dropped over the years and they need a refresher course and so on. And that's a big part of what the Red Cross does around the world. They teach people first aid. You can come and get a refresher course or become advanced as well. But so they had this app, and this app had been downloaded more than a million times within a few weeks. Like, mm. it's just, just the rage. Uh, like, everyone got this, and that was a huge success. That was good. That made the country safer. At one point, I got to Albania, and I talked to them, and they do all the same things. I mean, like, they, they help and they assist, and there's the disaster management and disaster preparation. And there's um, 
homeless people and there's uh, children and there's conflict resolution and there's this. But one thing that was really interesting in Albania was that uh, the government passed a law that you cannot get your driver's license until you have a first aid course. So that's a part of the package. Kind of sounds sensible. That's that. amazing. I'm like, why are we not all doing that? <laughs> so the next time you go out and you look at all those cars, you know that everyone behind the wheel yeah. knows first aid. Like there are people everywhere, yeah. every family, basically. I'm like, that's brilliant. And then as it turned out, the only ones that were, that had the privilege of, of giving that exact first aid training was the Red Cross. So all of that went through the Albanian Red Cross. And I just thought, that's amazing. I was in Poland and they had uh, fundraising. Fundraising is a big part of, of the Red Cross as well because it costs money, yeah. you know. Um, and, and they get a lot of donations, but, but they do a lot of, of, of the fundraising themselves and they do it in interesting ways. In Poland, they struck a deal with a chain of restaurants so that you would get um, like a placemat on the table when you arrive and this would give you instructions how to place your cutlery when you were done eating. So if you wanted to donate to the Red Cross, you would put it like a cross <laughs> oh, Jesus. and then the waiter would come over and see that and then he would press a button uh, which would add an additional two percent which would go straight for the red cross okay and if you didn't want to donate to the you put, just put it at, at four o'clock uh, as, as normal and, and that was that yeah, and yeah. i was like that's really clever and, and i told so i was staying with a family for five months here in hong kong and their two kids, uh, 10 and 12 years old, I told them about it. And the 10-year-old, he, after that, he kept putting his uh, cutlery <laughs> <laughs> like that. But then, you know, the Red Cross is whatever it needs to be, wherever you are. You know, some countries are dry, some countries are wet, some countries are wealthy. And like, you know, what the heck do you need the Red Cross for in, in Monaco? Monaco has money. So Monaco can raise funds and then they can send that to where it's needed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and Monaco Red Cross, uh, Monegasque Red Cross, they do a lot of interesting projects also across Africa. Where so they, they will be primarily wars. educating, uh, in Monaco would be primarily educating uh, the money people about the different projects around It'll the world. They'll do right? huge fundraising parties and okay. fundraising events and go like, yeah, look at the work that the Red Cross is doing globally. Yeah. The Red Cross is the world's largest humanitarian organization. It's found mm -hmm. in 192 countries around the world. That's basically every country in the world. And there are somewhere in the vicinity of 13, 14 million volunteers on oh, this wow. planet. And they reach somewhere around 150 million people a day. It's, it's not insignificant. Like it's they, the, yeah. the work is massive. And I think there are very, very few people, if anyone, that fully understands what it is the Red Cross does, because it does it all. There are villages where they prevent rape by putting up street light and educating women. And, oh, interesting. Uh, and okay. uh, asking these women to walk in pairs and maybe teaching them a little bit of uh, self-respect and, and encouraging them to stand up for themselves so they don't look like... Uh, Timid little creatures. Yeah, you yeah. don't want that or um, helping people manage businesses so maybe someone found a way to make a little bit of money on the street and actually it might be a good idea maybe they go and and get something in the forest and they bring it to the street and they or they make they make a cup of coffee and sell it and this kind of stuff but when you look at the finances of they're actually not making money or they're making very very little and then the red cross gives them like a, a tiny course and goes like listen this is obviously you don't have education but you do have a good idea you do have 
uh, intuitive mind for, mm -hmm. for business. Mm. Um, let's give you a little push. And then suddenly it's thriving or they go from standing on the side of the street to buying a little place and, and it goes beyond that. Uh, it's a big part of, of Red Cross work to give people skills. We're like, listen, you, you need to learn. We'll teach you. You'll be a hairdresser or a mechanic or uh, something else uh, so that you get life skills. Oh, the list is endless. I mean, you go to Iran, they have a factory. The Red Cross has a factory and they produce mosquito nets and tents and blankets and this and that. And they help distribute. So they have their own factory and they distribute this wherever it is needed. They have a fleet of helicopters in Iran, wow. which are Red Cross helicopters. The Red Cross is helping and assisting asylum seekers that are coming into Europe uh, from, from Africa and from the Middle East. Uh, they put up uh, refugee camps and manage the refugee camps. It's huge work. There is a Red Cross division in Brussels that is, um, is just for politics. So they have representatives in there trying to, when no. they pass a new bill, to go like this can hurt so and or this can help so and and just you know the yeah, so you got the, you got the lawyers which are sort of like ensuring that these politicians don't sort of you know <laughs> you just see like you, <laughs> compromise you, you have a you have a good bill that you're about to pass how can we make it even better by ah, okay. helping people you know why that's your overall goal why does Iran need a, a fleet of uh, Red Cross helicopters it's an easy way to get around and, and, and okay. help people. Iran has earthquakes. Iran has flooding at right. times. Okay. Iran has uh, heavy snowfall. Iran mm. has uh, huge deserts. Uh, yeah. is a large country. Um, yeah. They can use the helicopters to assist in neighboring countries as well. So this will mainly be sort of like, well, natural disaster uh, rescue type scenarios. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah for sure. Okay, okay. In um, Kenya, the Red Cross has a five-star hotel called the BOMA. What? Yeah. So this is what's well, called why an why income generating activity, okay. an IGA. Cool. So <laughs> their secretary general, I believe, came up with the idea going like, we need to make more money so that this money can be converted into humanitarian mm -hmm. aid. How do we do that? Well, we are Kenya. You know, we are this wonderful place where people want to come and we're yeah. have this thriving city called Nairobi and there are plenty of high scale um, hotels. Why not have one that's a Red Cross hotel and then people, they can come and stay there and uh, we take the money from that. But we can also use that to train people in how to work at a hotel, yeah. to work in a kitchen. Ah, very to nice. To do very all, good. all of this stuff. So you overloaded it quite nicely there. So they do, yeah. so they do that. And yeah, it's, it, it works beautifully. On top of that, they have Africa's second largest ambulance fleet. So the stories were that random ambulances will pick you up at a, a traffic accident mm. and the first place they go is to the gas station and then you have to pay for gas and then they take it to your hospital and the bills there and maybe they don't have gloves maybe they don't have oxygen this kind of stuff the red cross ambulances they are serviced they have everything they need they have they're fully fueled and they have this and this and that and and then they assist in in, in that way i believe south africa has the largest uh privatized um, ambulance fleet across africa Yes, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would agree with that. <laughs> the Red Cross runs hospitals. Yeah. Until until recent years, Spain had thirty hospitals or more that were Red Cross hospitals, and then eventually they went like anyone can run a hospital. 
uh, we want to be where no one else, we want to do what no one else can do. We, we want to deal within psychosocial support and we want to help those people that fall in between the cracks. So they handed over those hospitals to government and said, you okay. can manage the, the hospitals. You can do that for sure. We will go out and do uh, the things that government is incapable of doing mm. or where government falls short. And that's called playing an auxiliary role to government. And that's what the Red Cross does globally. So the Red Cross is invited into the countries by the government. The, the, the Red Cross doesn't force itself in, upon a country. It's invited by the government. The government want, has to want the Red Cross to be there. And then when they're there, the Red Cross is independent of government, hmm. neutral, but in an auxiliary role. So saying, okay, what, are, what do you want for your country? What are you trying to do? What kind of problems do you have? Where do you fall short? Where can we help? Where can we do this? Blood drives is a huge part of what the Red Cross does uh, in many, many countries that they go out, they collect the donations, they store it, they treat and they deliver um, maybe to their own hospitals in some cases and so on and so on. I, we can talk Red Cross for a very, no, no, very, I mean, very long I, I time. Find it, I find it fascinating, but but it There's also a snake farm. The world's second oldest snake farm belongs uh, to for anti venom. Three things. So for uh, this is in Bangkok in Thailand. Oh yeah. So for educational purposes, because mm. some people think every snake is dangerous, so <laughs> it's good to get people in and say like this: that's harmless, that's harmless, that's harmless. This one is shy. It's not harmless, but it's shy. Yeah. It's not coming for your family at night, and, and so on. So on. not some superstition as well. There's, they have this snake which is called a rainbow snake or something like this and mm. when it gets under sunlight it really has all these magical colors mm. and they believe if you see that someone will die the next day or you will die the next day some some believe that so there's the educational part of it there's the anti-venom part of it and there's the research part of it where we go like if we extract venom from snakes then can we use that uh, to develop medicine mm. uh, and we can so and we do mm, mm. yeah so, so that's amazing and that's right next to their hospital which is a red cross hospital in bangkok nice, and nice. So, so. when i went to india the india red cross is like, what do you mean what do we do do you know how big india is we do all of it <laughs> like well tell me something and they were like we have the largest uh transportation service within india of human remains so there was a state with it. Sorry, the transportation human remains. So dead people. Okay. Okay. So the India is massive, and India yes. has so many countries, and the the, the tourist so uh, many cities. You mean so many cities? Oh, what else? So many countries. Yeah, so many cities, so many people, so many states. Yes, I guess yes. I was going to say, um, and 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 the, the slogan, the tourist tagline is "Incredible India," and that is so fitting on, on India. <laughs> I love India. <laughs> and, and it is um, you know you go from the north to the south people they don't speak the same language they don't dance the same music they don't wear the same clothes they don't even look the same they're like the skin color changes slightly so east west same thing the center like yeah. india is just this mass it's a continent almost and then you have the red cross across india and who, who knows how many volunteers they might have in india when a country <laughs> with 1.3 billion people but the, there isn't work for everyone in their local community. So they have mass uh, migration within their country or people that will go to another state across country to work. And this is often poor families that have to do that, you know, like brother or father that goes and works thousands of kilometers away, which you can do in, in a large country like India. 
And then there might be a work accident or old age or disease or something else. And they pass away and the family cannot afford to get that person, that mm. family member, transported back to the home village. Mm. So the Red Cross takes care of that. Okay. <laughs> That's just like one thing out of a million things. There's clean drinking water, boreholes, but not yeah. just drilling a hole and going, here you go, here's the drinking water. No, training the community to take responsibility and test the water and know how to fix the pump if it breaks down and, and manage it and get the community involved so they care about this borehole and take care of it and protect it. And it lasts for 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. <sighs> everything, I'm telling you everything. I, I was in, in Qatar. And they went like, do you want to see our health clinics? Uh, do you want to see one of our health clinics? I went, you know, yeah. it just, sorry, it just crosses my mind. I mean, it, it's actually really good that you chose to be like a, a goodwill ambassador because it, it, it gives you an adventure in every single country that you go to. You know, you see what they're up to. You can, uh, you, can you can, you know, it's, it's it is eye opening. It's, it yeah. really is. Continue with the Qatar story. Yeah, so they yeah. have a lot of uh, imported workers, uh, yeah. a lot of people from India and Bangladesh yeah. again, yeah. who come and build stadiums and yeah. schools and uh, highways and, and this kind of stuff. And, and they, sometimes in the media they get a bad rep um, for how that's done. And I don't know if I really disagree. I think like a lot of these people, they get, they get a job opportunity and they have better conditions when they come to Qatar than they had, right? Like they live in quarters where they have air conditioned, they have pay, they're not prisoners, they get to travel home and quit their their contract if they want, but they can also go home every so often and uh, they have community, there's no crime. There's no crime in these countries, there's no crime in the United Arab Emirates, there's no corporate crime, maybe, but uh, like no one would steal your purse or no one would, you can, mm. you can leave your phone and then come back an hour later, it's still there, like there is no crime. Um, and the same goes for Qatar. So. And the Red Cross went like, well, these guys, they, it's hot in Qatar, you know, sometimes they can't cope with the heat or uh, maybe they have dental problems or maybe there's a bad knee or maybe there's this. Or maybe that. So they set up these clinics and I can't remember, there's four clinics or five clinics, but they treat a crazy amount of people for free. So that means that all these foreign workers, well, they come across... Well, not for free, they somebody's paying for it. I mean, but the, yeah, the well, yeah, Qatar the is not a poor country. Okay, so okay. the Qatari Red Crescent is well-funded. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a humanitarian city in Dubai where they went, um, we, we, have, um, we have logistics to deal with. We, we send ambulances and uh, blankets and tents and uh, generators and all around the world. How about we have that in a few tactical locations? And then they went like, well, the Red Cross is not the only kid in town. You've got all sorts of humanitarian aid uh, organizations and WHO as well. Yeah. So how about we just come together and we have all our warehouses here near an <laughs> airport. Actually, we'll just build an airport for the <laughs> purposes of this. We've got land. And uh, yeah, so that will work out logistically and uh, Dubai is great. Like where can't you go to from Dubai? Dubai is sort of nearby a lot of places that might need aid and there will be December storms and, and whatnot. So yeah, <laughs> they've, they've got that. But Qatar has these, um, you know, it, it was amazing walking around. It's clean, it's efficient and uh, no one from Qatar is in there. Like all, everyone who was in there was, were foreign workers. They don't get that uh, where they come from. They don't get uh, prime uh, treatment for free. <laughs> uh, 
like it's, it's just amazing yeah yeah fascinating yeah. it is truly fascinating yeah. yeah how did you decide to actually become this uh, representative or a uh, goodwill ambassador for red cross i mean you must have had some sort of uh, early interaction with uh with uh with the red cross to you know sort of make you decide okay yeah i'd like to do this um was it a um, girlfriend family what was it hmm. i'll take you all the way back denmark has a really really unique thing which is trust there is a huge amount of trust in denmark we trust each other yeah um, certainly up to a point where it's been proved we've been proven wrong right and then we cut people out <laughs> but generally we trust and then there's a special way of collecting money uh, that the Danish Red Cross has in Denmark. And I don't know how many countries this would work in because you really need this, this degree of trust. But a rather homogenous culture to be able to appreciate and everybody cooperates with that. Is that what you mean? Yeah, so I, I, I'll, I'll tell you what it's about. Uh, mm. but, but I went to Portugal and I talked to them about it. And they, said they used to have it, but then Failed. it went wrong for reasons, which I'll come to in a moment. So what we have in Denmark is that the Red Cross will say, we have this one day a year, mm -hmm. and we make um, we make this large national collection. So what they do is that they ask the nation to come in and help for this one day, be a volunteer for a day, right, for three hours, and then they put up uh, in sports centers and community halls and so on and so on. They put up a billboard with uh, all the street names from the region. And then you sign up and you come on the day and I mean like a huge amount of volunteers. Like it's a really almost a festive event to go in and help and support the Red Cross. So then you come and you go up to the billboard and you, most people will pick their own street. So they'll go door to door in their own street or a neighborhood street or just whatever's left on the board. Hmm. And then you're issued uh, a bag and you have some brochures, some pamphlets inside in case people are not at home, you can slip hmm. that inside as well. You get this collection canister, which is sealed, and uh, you get a couple of bottles of water, and then uh, you go out. And then you're told you can't knock on a door until 10 o'clock. We don't want anyone to knock on the door before 10 o'clock, because we want people to at home to know that if anyone's knocking on the door before 10 o'clock, it's not the Red Cross. Okay. And everyone finishes at one. It doesn't matter that you have two houses left or two apartments left. Nobody knocks on the door after one o'clock. So we're doing it. Denmark needs to know this. It's between 10 and 1. And if anyone knocks outside of that, that's not the Red Cross. And then people go door to door. And we cover basically every household in Denmark within three hours based on this. And the Red Cross gets, within a day, I think the numbers are around 4, maybe 5 million US dollars uh, out of a nation with 5.5 million people. So that works. And that helps fund this machine. But the Danish Red Cross is working and operating in 40 countries around the world. Mm. So it's a huge operation. And the Danish Red Cross has 25,000 volunteers on its own. Why, why is it so many? Why, I mean, like, why? why? Why 40 countries when you could just focus on Denmark? Well, Denmark is... Pretty affluent. <laughs> <laughs> Denmark is a very comfortable country. <laughs> We are a nation where we like to complain a lot. So you export your, your humanitarian. But our, <laughs> our complaints are not always reasonable. First world problems, man. First world problems. We've got first world problems in Denmark. A lot of them. We have real problems as well. We have problems that no, uh, you know, a number of countries do not. 
loneliness is a problem in Denmark. And you mm. I know most countries and you talk to them and go like, what do you mean loneliness? Like we live with our families until the yeah. parents die and we take yeah. them. We're never, you're never alone. Yeah. Everybody knows everything. If you're feeling down, people yeah. pick you up. Like we're all together. And we live in a society where you do not talk to a stranger in the train, on the street, in a bus. Uh, you, know, you talk to people at your workplace, at parties, at sports events and this kind of stuff. But like yeah. we, you go home, you stare at your phone all day. And Just as a side story, like my wife and I, we got on a bus in Finland. Yeah. And, uh, you know, both of us are pretty, you know, like, you know, we like to chat and natter and laugh and, and joke and 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 we were laughing and joking and and then you know I, it was just like sort of like a little eerie silence and i remember looking around and, th- and and we were in front of the bus facing backwards and everyone was looking at us and you know we were like oh my god actually everyone's like looking at us and like they're all quiet <laughs> yeah everybody's quiet and there's yeah. no laughter or joking or i'm like oh fuck <laughs> is we, it is a very similar sort of thing yeah like we're, we're nordic countries so yeah right so I, I once saw a statistic about how much money different societies they spend on the interior of their homes. Yeah. And in Denmark, it's way up. Like you get these nice little thingies that you saw on TV to stand on your mantle or this and that. You get this painting and you get this and that. You have this TV, you have this sofa. You have like, you make it really, really comfy because you spend a lot of time inside your home. And then you go to Spain and on average they spend nothing uh, because they're always outside. They're in parks at restaurants and yeah. cafes and they're always out yeah. and you come home to sleep. So you need a bed and yeah. it's like this very basic stuff. Um, yeah. So I think we're very solitude people. We value privacy a lot. Mm. And, and, and in Denmark we do it to such a degree where I know I value my privacy. I expect that you value your privacy. I'm going to reciprocity. I'm going to give you your privacy and then I expect you do not speak to me. (laughs) (laughs) I will not speak to you. You do not speak to me. We both have our privacy. And that's sort of how it works. Like if you talk to a stranger. that's a bit far, don't you think? Not speaking to an individual. But you do speak to people. You just do it where it's uh, socially appropriate. Right. At the workplace, at parties, at sports. (laughs) Not on the street. Definitely not not on the bus. Public transportation. (laughs) (laughs) You can, there are certain questions you can get away with asking a stranger on the street. You can ask for directions. That's fine. Yeah. You can ask what time it is. That's fine. You cannot ask, how was your day? <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, where did you get your dress from kind of thing? You, know? <laughs> yeah. hey, you don't do that. But yeah, yeah. so then I went to Portugal and I thought about, I, and I told them about this is what we do in Denmark. And they said, we used to do this, but then uh, so we had some people a little bit too clever and they started, uh, they started generating their own collection uh, characters and painting them Red Cross, but they were not Red Cross and they went out and asked for donations. And people would donate and the money would never come to the Red Cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had to stop doing that. And we're like, hmm, okay, yeah. So you do need trust in society for, for something like that. But that's, that's another thing. Um, Sounds like this, this network is uh, ripe for exploitation by um, secret services of different countries. Um, you know, be, I, thought, I was just thinking, like you would. You, oh, would, you, you have talk, to explain. How you no, I mean, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, fr- from a security perspective, I always have to think about systems and approaches getting exploited, and and how would they be exploited, and and like, I mean, there's there seems how to be a lot secret security, secret services. Secret I mean, services, like like the CIA use, and stuff yeah, like how that. How could they use that for anything? Well, they can impersonate and get into different countries, get into into like you know oh, countries oh, you like see you know. That. 
I was in Benin, and I was there with uh, with a local Red Cross uh, guy representing the Netherlands on a, on a project. They were doing Watsan water and sanitation project, and we were in his in, in his Red Cross vehicle. We we're going off a road, and then suddenly we see a convoy of vehicles that are white with the Red Cross on the side, and I go like, "That looks impressive. What's that?" No, no idea. Like, that doesn't exist in Benin, and we got closer. And they used the Red Cross on their trucks, and uh, two or three trucks, and then a, a smaller vehicle, a Jeep or something up front. White with the Red Cross, and then there's a circle of writing around the cross, which the ICRC uses, which is the International Committee of the Red Cross. So it looked very much like their logo, but then the writing said something else. Oh. And the Red Cross emblem is protected. You cannot use that. A pharmacy cannot use that. A doctor cannot use that. Uh, that's for the Red Cross and it's for the military in combat situations. Right. That's sort of it. Okay. But it's recognizable and people they know and people look at it and think aid or help. So it does go right. But in this case, whatever these guys were doing, I never got to the bottom of this. We took photos and we sent it to the appropriate people. Oh, okay. And then they probably took contact and were like, you cannot do that. Yeah. They were imitating Red Cross, probably not out of harm, but just to protect themselves. It, were rec it was recognizable. Yeah. Maybe it would open doors for them and yeah. stuff like this. You know what? I think you've done a good, uh, uh, an appropriate thing about getting around the world by being a Red Cross ambassador. Because uh, I was chatting to uh, other uh, world travelers. And what they do is, is they, you know, they, they, got a, they got themselves like a UN uniform and a UN cap and, and, and like a UN clipboard and that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that can get them through um, across borders relatively smoothly. Have you ever used your, your ambassador status to help you get into countries more easily? Or maybe... Uh, not really. No? And there's oh. a reason. I want to protect the Red Cross. I think it, it should remain pure. Okay. And if I go ahead and do dodgy things, then yeah. people might get confused. Um, I think people, they should know that when they are assisting the Red Cross, then it should be for something serious. Right, humanitarian right. aid, humanitarian work. And it shouldn't be because a guy has ambitions of going to every country without flying. Okay. So there's a blurry line there because I am representing the Red Cross and that is a part of, of what I'm doing as a part of the project. The current I'm, identity. Uh, representing yeah. the Red Cross globally in, in that I'm meeting them and, and talking about them and, and sharing the stories as we've just mm. done now. Mm. But certainly the Danish Red Cross as well. And people need to know that when they donate money to the Red Cross, it doesn't go to a guy who's trying to reach every country without flying. It, it, it's, it's, it's not going there. Not going to you so you can smooth the palms of people. <laughs> no. I mean, the Red Cross pays for educations as well. By yeah. the way. Like, yeah. Literally anything you can think of that benefits humans that are in need. Hmm. The Red Cross is there. Relief. Uh, every time there's an earthquake or a tsunami hmm. or anything, the Red Cross is there. Yeah poverty-stricken um, neighborhoods or uh, slum areas and so on, the Red Cross is there. Red Cross is building schools and houses and it's What about endless. activities here in Hong Kong? Well, I, I assume Red Cross is also here. Yeah. Um, what, what, what's, what are they up to here? Well, now, during COVID-19, um, a lot of elders have had have seen it problematic to get their medicine delivered yeah. or food stuff delivered and so on. So the Hong Kong Red Cross has been really, really strong in uh, going out, doing the shopping and delivering it in a safe way and yeah. putting it on their door handle or hanging it on the door handle or putting it in front of the door and texting them and saying delivery has been made and 
and they can come out and, and feel safe. Again, I mean, Hong Kong is quite well run. Yeah, this is know? more of a, what, what, what would you call a, uh, like a, a, a money generating place. Uh, Hong Kong probably would be that, wouldn't yeah. it? Well, yeah, well, yes, it, it is. But there is poverty in Hong Kong as well. Oh, there sure. are homeless people in Hong Kong as well. And the Red Cross is there helping them. I mean, it doesn't get cold here in comparison to Denmark or no. Siberia or, or somewhere else where it gets really, really cold. But when it goes from 30 degrees Celsius to 12 and you're living on the street, you need a jacket. Yeah. And, you know, the Red Cross is there. They will supply. They will help and they will assist. They will train. Mm. Um, immigration matters as well. Uh, mm. Refugees. I don't, I don't know. I'm not aware that Hong Kong receives a lot of refugees, but maybe. No, yeah. I, I, think, I think it's mainly um, places like Pakistan there are some refugees from from there also from India um, these sorts of places there are yeah. there are um, well, the Hong Kong Red Cross is a branch of the Chinese Red Cross and the Chinese Red Cross does everything they have horses and snowmobiles and they were like you need to be cool. able to get out to <laughs> where people are at sounds like this is a good you know if you retire early and you want a bit of adventure sounds like something you might want to you want, might want to take up. Uh, you well, know. let's 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 go back a bit. Where yeah. you said, how did I get into representing the Danish Red Cross? Oh so, yes, of course. So, I did those collections. So when they mm. asked for volunteers, those I'd done that a few times. I knew of the Red Cross through that, and then um, my background lies within shipping and logistics, and I've done that for twelve years of my life, and. I've always been working on other people's projects and I thought maybe it was <laughs> time to sort of look at what do I actually want to do versus what am I asked to do. And I went online and a little bit cynical. I was wondering where will there always be work? And I <laughs> thought there was always going to be work within humanitarian aid. If it's the United Nations, WHO, Red Cross, something else. There will always be work. There's always going to be another earthquake. Uh, and we are getting better. I mean, half the amount of people are dying in natural disasters in comparison to 20 years ago because we set up warning systems and we reach people a lot faster now. And that's a big part of what the Red Cross does as well. So the Red Cross has something called the Emergency Response Unit, ERU. Uh, this I know about. These guys are world famous. Okay. World famous. Like they get drop in like paratroopers yes bloody paratroopers <laughs> so go on you, you, you yeah. i was one of them <laughs> a real oh god okay but here we go here we go i want to hear this but only in training okay so i applied for the job as a logistics delegate within the eru uh -huh. i said yeah we like you we like your profile and uh, they started training me and i was fully trained for it and i was never deployed then this project began but through that training i realized the Red Cross is massive. Uh, like that's it's a perfect match. I'm going to every country in the world. The Red Cross is basically in every country in the world. There must be synergy. And I approached the Danish Red Cross saying, "Listen, I'm a little bit embarrassed because you <laughs> you, you, you put in all of this effort in training me for the ERU, and now I'm actually planning this. But you think you would like to be a part of it? And that went straight to the top within the first ten minutes. And um, and then the yes. boss he said. Sounds like a good idea. I'm not going to give it my go ahead now. I have all these departments, all this staff, and we're going to send it around 
through these and wow. see what they have to say, and then we're going to come back to you. It's a professional outfit. It's not like, yeah, la, 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 la. It's not a circus. Mm -hmm. yeah? So after a few weeks, I think, I got a phone call, and I said, we would like to make you Goodwill Ambassador of the Danish Red Cross, and we would like to task you with writing an always present story about the Red Cross throughout the world. So the Red Cross is always present, and we would like you to represent that through stories as you what go around. What do you around. mean by the Red Cross is always present? An always present letter, what does that mean? I think you would have to see it in the context of humanitarian aid, that no matter if you're a village and a big oil company is coming there um, to destroy it and, and remove you, then the Red Cross is there to defend and help you or, or help relocate if it comes to that. So they also do sort of Greenpeace-type activities, right? Or Well, Greenpeace is more about the environment and nature yeah. and to some degree animals, uh, mm. where the Red Cross is humans. Mm. Um, the only time that the Red Cross might care about animals, if it's, it's your livelihood, if it's farm animals, or I if uh, you feel better because you have a dog or something like this. But it's, it's all about people. Mm. People, people, people. And it's the most vulnerable people in society. So it's like a doctor. You say, like, mm. you have five patients, who are you going to operate on? Who's going to die right now? Yeah. Who's gone? Okay, this one. And then you go in and you help. The Red Cross is neutral and can go anywhere on this planet. It doesn't matter if it's Taliban or if it's something else. Uh, the Red Cross can get in because whoever they are acting with knows that the Red Cross is neutral. They're not representing government. And, uh, you know, if you have Al-Shabaab or if you have Boko Haram, or the Red Cross is there uh, because they have children and they have wives and mm. they have neighbors and so on. And you the Red Cross, if someone has been kidnapped, uh, the, the Red Cross can go in and negotiate and, and have them release and say, well, what, what do you need? Do you need rice? Do you need electricity? Do you need, what, what are you lacking here? What, how can we help you? And by the way, we would like to get these 20 people back home with us. They, they have been in positions where they have negotiated. The Red Cross visits prisons. Uh, I believe that the Red Cross has rescued more than a million people out of prisons who were not supposed to be there. Oh, you mean like kidnapping uh, scenarios or, no, or like wrong, uh, wrong, wrongfully prosecuted? Yeah, you know, some government where mm. they, they pick someone up and lock them away and basically welded the door <laughs> or, or worse. I can tell you worse stories. Uh, I'd love to hear them. Um, you go the worst story I have heard is a guy who was picked up and then taken to a prison that doesn't exist. And then they did weld the door, and, um, and after some time, they came and unwelded the door, opened it, and they dragged him out, and they put him into a bathtub, which was filled with feces, and they gave him a straw to breathe out of, and they kept him submerged in those feces for more than 24 hours. And then they dragged him out of that, when it had really soaked into his ears and nose and uh, skin. So, uh, and then they threw him back in the cell and welded it up again. And nobody knows you're there. And you have no hope. You have no hope of being rescued. You're like, you are forgotten. So your family doesn't know where you are. Your family probably believes that you are dead. This could be mm. years. So you're just in, you're in a world of... And then someday you hear someone knock on the door. They're like, Red Cross, is there anybody in there? Because the Red Cross will get lists. If the government has invited Red Cross into their country, and they have in 192 countries, 
then the government also gives access to prisons. That's a part of the deal. Oh, is that so? Oh, and, wow. And then the Red, Cross, okay. the Red Cross is written into the Geneva Convention. The Red okay. Cross was a part of writing the Geneva Convention. Okay. And all the countries that have signed the Geneva Convention give access to the Red Cross as okay. well. Okay. So you come into a prison and you get a list of prisoners. And so, okay, there's supposed to be 344 people here. And you find six that are not on the list. You start asking questions and go like, who are these people? What's in that room? And they go over and knock on the door. And that's complicated. You know, some places you can't just walk freely, but they get it done. And imagine to have rescued more than a million people. Hmm. No hope until they knocked on the door and you heard Red Cross. Is anybody in there? Yes, please. <laughs> Take me out. So there's also armed. There's an armed division. Uh, is there an armed... Uh, oh, the Red Cross? Yeah. No, the Red Cross is no weapons. So if it's a, a war situation or armed conflict or something we'll like this, the and, and you're picking up um, someone who's injured, and he says he wants to keep his gun, you talk him out of it. Like, no one gets into a Red Cross ambulance with a weapon. No one gets inside a Red Cross building with a weapon. No one travels in a Red Cross convoy with a weapon. And the Red Cross does its very, very best to avoid having armed escorts. If, they, if it is a dire situation in some country where you do need to have armed escorts, then they have to travel up ahead and way behind so that it's distinguishable that that's the Red Cross in the middle and there are no guns, no weapons, no nothing. I've that's never flippin' brave. That's flippin' brave. I've never talked this much about the Red Cross throughout these seven years. No, no, no this is, I find this absolutely fascinating. I'm but, happy but to that talk is, about it. It is flippin' brave to get into a Red Cross vehicle and drive through a war-torn country. I was, like, in, what the I was hell? in Syria last year okay. meeting with uh, volunteers that were barely 20 years old. Uh-huh. And they had this uh, ambulance, which... I, I'm not sure there were bullet holes, but there might have been. And the, the, all bumps and dents and this kind of stuff. And they were running out of latex gloves. And they were running out of uh, oxygen. And they were running out of basic stuff that they need. Yeah. And they were just jumping into that ambulance, going straight into the fire to go and help people. And think about what 20-year-old kids are capable on, yeah. on an everyday yeah. basis like what the heck they, they do selfies and all and these kids they do selfies as well but, but they also <laughs> ride an ambulance straight into hell and bring people out jesus Christ. yeah it's just awe inspiring what they're doing and that's not to say that syria is on fire there are certain hot spots there. for oh, the most sure. part syria is fine uh, it's a large country a lot of people but they go they go where the country is on fire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good grief, eh? Now, I, I would imagine, I would imagine that secret services would, there would be a, a very strong agreement between the Red Cross and the secret services of, if you say, if you say, um, uh, the Red Cross has to go in, into prisons and there's a sort of a, an agreement that goes on, I would imagine that the Red Cross would mandate that if there's any shit fuckery that goes on between like the secret services of that state and and emulate the red copying cross does not get access to all prisons that's you know oh, there, no. there, there, are, there are secret prisons which of are course. secret oh, because nobody knows about them and yeah. the red cross also doesn't know and mm. if they suggest that they exist they're just told now oh, you're dreaming uh, like that they don't exist yeah. Yeah. so they they do not get to go everywhere but they do get to go a lot of places a lot a lot of places 
And there are some countries where they're not trying to hide it. Hmm. They just have really shitty conditions with their prisons. A lot of prisons are overcrowded beyond yeah. imagination. And yeah. that's not humanitarian. So they go with a checklist and go like, you cannot, you need to build another prison. If you want to house this many prisoners, you cannot do that. And there are international humanitarian laws that we need to uphold. And do they, and do they, do the, does the Red Cross help build other prisons or something? I imagine in some cases, yeah, they, they help, but for generally these are governments. And yeah. yeah, I haven't been to a country where the government is truly lacking funds. It's more the distribution <laughs> of the funds across the countries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it aggregates in the pockets of certain individuals, is that right? <laughs> yeah, it, it really does. Yeah. Africa, I do love Africa. I'm, that's the continent I'm most passionate about. Oh, interesting. I'm, I'm, why? It got to me. I, I've had so it many gets in your blood, doesn't it? Eh? <laughs> I got really, really sick there. I've had... I almost broke down and quit the project there. And what I, country was I, that? I rose from it and continued. That was I was in the very south of Cameroon, mm. very close to the border with Gabon. Mm. I was just in a stressful situation for many months, and it just culminated. But you know, it was basically fifty-four countries of discovery. It was just going like one country to the next, going like I had no idea, I had no idea, I had no idea, and on top of that, I had no idea the continent was that big. Yeah, <laughs> I was, you know, the distance. So Denmark is about 8000 kilometers from Hong Kong, which is about the width of, of Africa. So you could pull Africa up and that would fit between Hong Kong. and Denmark. But let's look at the map and see what is between Hong Kong and Denmark. Well, you have all the stands. You've got your Middle East. You've got all of India is there. All of Pakistan is there. Uh, you've got uh, a huge chunk of, of Europe is there and all the diversity across that, what people wear, who they pray to and what they eat and who, who, they, who can do what and so on. And Africa has far more diversity than that. <laughs> and it's, it's just it's bonkers to experience firsthand. Like you, you are from Africa <laughs> yes. and you haven't been to all the countries. Oh, certainly not. Yeah, but yeah. I would love to. Well, the thing is, I, I've lost my spleen. Okay. I had it ruptured when I was... 19 years old and you know getting malaria means a death sentence essentially. Yeah. well so i understand it's a death sentence you know the immune the spleen is a, a, a very uh, it's a, it helps with the manufacturing of blood wh white blood cells which is an important you know defense mechanism right um and i i, w I went to i went to rwanda yeah um you know it's really rolling hills what a beautiful! I really enjoyed Rwanda. It was a lovely place. The people are great. Anyway, so so I was religious about my mosquito netting and my my deet um, mosquito, yeah. what you call it, and uh, you know I even brought the tablets and whatnot. I didn't take any tablets though, but uh, I was following the advice of my expense about. Um, and you know every night I would pitch my mosquito netting and then one morning i woke up and there was a mosquito inside my netting and i was like right that's it god damn it i've got ma malaria that's it <laughs> so you know i messaged mike and i'm like mike fuck, what, what do i do and he's like just chill just relax the probability of you having malaria is extremely extremely low yeah, you know you one of ten thousand mosquitoes well that's exactly like it that's yeah. exactly it he was you know he was like you know like if it's just a single mosquito you're like get out of town and this guy is like absolutely not neurotic at, at all you know <laughs> so um so i said okay shall i pop a pill now and he was like yeah go ahead do that so i popped one of these uh i forgot the me medication and 
I remember sitting in, 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 in a library at that point and, and the medication took effect. Right. And I thought, that's it. That's the malaria. You know, I nearly passed out, basically. <laughs> I thought, oh, shit, okay. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's the thing. I, I, yeah, I really don't want to get malaria. Which, uh, which, which nobody wants to get malaria. No, but more so because I don't yeah, have no, that spleen. That, See, that, like, that. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so that, in, in a sense, does remove a lot of countries from South Africa. Oh, from, from, yeah, but you can't live your life in fear. Well, most, I don't, I don't most, most die. people go uh, and, you know. and don't get malaria. So, like, why would you be the one who did? And if you take the necessary precautions, you yeah, use roll that dice, man. Roll the dice. You, you sleep in <laughs> places where there's air conditioning or a fan. And yeah, yeah. You wear light clothing. Like mosquitoes, they like to hide in dark spaces. So yeah, the sure. clothes that we're wearing now is no good. Yeah, yeah. You wear something light, and you take the pills. The pills they work. So if if you're going to every country in Africa, and I guess ninety percent has malaria, then you can't take malaria pills because you can't. You know, malaria pills are for weeks or months, yeah. not not for years. Yeah, that it will do. The pills will do more damage to your body Correct, over yeah. an extended period of this time. This is what Mike was saying. Yeah, yeah. Mm. but you're fine if you're going to Rwanda for a couple of weeks mm. or a couple of months. Then mm. take the pills. You know, that's mm. our luxury we can do that mm. yeah and be vigilant you know you go, don't stay at a lake uh, when the sun is setting and that kind of that stuff. sort of thing yeah exactly yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know next to the fireplace and always you know no no that's what that's exactly what i was doing I, I went mean, to every country in africa I, it took two years and three months i went through two rain seasons and i had <laughs> malaria once and i'm pretty sure it was because i slept directly <laughs> on the ground at a gas station in the jungle yeah yeah like uh, that's I that's know. what it took i know I, so know I know i know you're fine well yeah i i i, uh, I pro yes likely i am i just remember my being a young and you know my dad sort of like being rather stern-handed with me and saying do not get malaria i'm like okay i won't ever get it and then that means okay but no i mean th yeah the experiences that I, i'd lose out by following that advice to the T would be... Well, then you could just take the next <laughs> thing. They would go like, well, has there been any terrorism in this country? Oh, no, I know. Yeah, all right. Okay. Uh, blah, okay. Blah, blah, blah. okay. So, so. so you can scare yourself out of... You could also be too <laughs> courageous, you know, and that will eventually also kill you. <laughs> Find a balance. <laughs> <laughs> there are certain times of the year where you would maybe not travel because there would be a higher mm. risk of malaria, mm. rain season. Um, yeah. But, ah, you're fine. Yeah. I was paranoid when I, I, I got malaria and then when I was recovering the next mosquito I saw I thought that one's gonna kill me <laughs> and I was paranoid for weeks and then someone said you know you can't get malaria two, two times in a row but you've always got it like you you will have the fever no, no it's, really? it's, out, it's out of the system so that really depends on the malaria and the treatment and the situation oh, right, in okay. your body and there's a ton of stuff but like there's nothing in my body now it's a hundred percent out but then, this, this is probably not true, but this is what I was told, that if you've just had malaria, then you're immune for a couple of months. Oh, okay. And I believe that. It's probably not true. I imagine oh, you can I get see. malaria the, the next day, probably. <laughs> but I believe that I couldn't get, so I went like, oh, I'm invincible. And then, and then in that period, I just sort of had the transition where I went like, ah, oh, be reasonable and just think about how you go about with things and so on. But there's other other stuff out there. Jesus, like Bill Hart. There, oh, there's all sorts of good stuff that'll that take you out. 
good and proper. Yeah, but it doesn't. No, you know, mm, uh, yeah. like it's the, those stories. Uh, yeah. Right now, COVID nineteen, you got a lot of seafarers that are stuck at true, sea. They true. can't leave the ship. They can't go back home, and so on. Some of those they need dental care, and they're out yep. there for months yep. after months. And, mm. and and some of the hardcore stories are about seafarers that then pulled out their own teeth, or had another crew member pull out their teeth because <sighs> there's mm. no dentist, and there's this pain, and it's mm. uh, horrific, and so on. So. Anyway, that's a good story. Let's tell that one. Yeah. How many times did that happen? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Once is enough, you know, then the story is there. <laughs> right. So that's how it works with everything on this planet. Right. Yeah. And, it's, you know, so what I do with the, the, the third part of my project where I say it's a positive promotion of every country, I want to pick up the normality and this kind of stuff. Uh, that's probably also my passion for Africa, because Africa is the underdog. It's always seen as... Uh, you know, you haven't been to Zimbabwe, you've been to Africa, <laughs> but you have been to Greece, you haven't been to Europe, right? <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, right, okay. Uh, well, no, no, so as, a, as, a, as a South African, I don't have that opinion. No, no, fair that's, enough. That's but once you come outside wired. of Africa, yeah. then most people, they go like, oh, Africa, it's it. They're all the same. They all know each other. They eat the same food. They, <laughs> they wear the same clothes. They what, speak Africa's, the same language. Africa's not a country? Uh, what? This, <laughs> this pan-Africanism is uh, it's true in some sense, but it's just truly wrong in others mm. and and for that africa is the underdog and i uh, just i'm always there like people who hate on syria or yemen or iraq or mm. afghanistan i'm there and i'm defending it and i'm mm. telling people listen do you know how well i was treated there do you know what i saw do you know what i experienced do you know how good the food was do you know how beautiful <laughs> the mountains were and so on so that's exactly what mike says you know yeah. mike like one of his favorite countries in the world is iraq he loved it. He Iraq loved is it. unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, great. I, I, I rode the bus to Baghdad from Jordan, yeah. from Amman, and then I had some excellent experiences. And then hung around for a bit and just went like, wow, look how they decorated Baghdad. So most capital cities, they will put up uh, statues of politicians or yeah. military leaders mm. and this kind of stuff. And Baghdad was just full of, uh, it was Aladdin and uh, a, really? a thousand and one uh, nights uh, of oh. fairy tales, this kind of stuff. Um, and it, it was authors and it was um, poets and musicians. These were the statues that were put up and no military leaders and no, none of all that stuff. And no politicians. And you just go, that's, that's sensible. That's the way it should be. And again, like that's it's the cradle of civilization. Like mm. they when the rest of us were in caves. Come on. Now we're going to have to pull out the African angle. Africa specifically. Sure. That's but the Africa, cradle. What? <laughs> Two, 2000 years of proper civilization with writing. Ah, okay. and, and oh, that, right. OK. Right? OK. Well, where do you go with Iraq or with Syria or with Lebanon? True. You go 8000 years easy. Yeah. Right. Uh, they they developed it. They they worked it out. They yeah. they set it into systems, and that's where the rest of us are coming yeah. from now. The world was culturally. not flat there. The world <laughs> was not flat. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a statue of of uh, of of an, an, an individual holding up the the globe, in and it goes country? back thousands of years. I, f I forgot. I forgot. But it's in that area, and it's a uh, Africa is uh, full of kingdoms and, and history and no i'm talking about iraq uh, or oh, iraq right, iran right. there's a, there's a statue of somebody holding up a globe uh, the world um yeah, and it goes back thousands i'm, I'm sure there are yeah. several countries that have that yeah yeah, yeah sure yeah. 
Did you know that Mali used to be the richest country in the world? I did not. How many years are we getting back? 800. Why? Salt and gold and uh, really firm, solid organization skills. Um, the culture is just thriving. The way that the society was set up, it just was set up for success. And it's basically the Roman Empire of Western Africa. Um, it used to be the Ghanaian Empire. Ghana took its name from mm -hmm. from that. Mm -hmm. it, it used to be Senegal and Mali and uh, the neighboring country. All of that would be the Malian Empire. And Mansa Musa, the, the primary king, there were several kings, but like that's the guy you want to remember. He was the richest man in the world. And if you go and compare in the wealth that has individually been collected by anyone, no one comes near. So he's still the richest man on, on the planet, dead 800 years ago, but you know, you're incomparably the richest guy who ever lived. He was a Muslim and they had trade. They, most gold across Europe, the, in, in the kingdoms and the crowns and this kind of stuff, they can go and, and they can go and sample that and see where it came from. And that came from mines in, in Mali. Okay, so they were tapping into the gold, and well, salt. I can sort of say gold and salt. That yeah. sort of energy, the monetary energy network, which is like, you know, it's, ab it's above water and energy and... Mansa Musa, he yeah. wanted, yeah. as the good Muslim, he wanted to go and do his hajj, travel up to yeah. uh, Mecca. Okay, okay. 800 years ago. So that's walking from Mali to... to he <laughs> did that? He walked that distance? Well, he sat on a horse or a camel okay. or something <laughs> like that. But then he, he set off with thousands of soldiers and slaves. Thousands. And everyone carrying gold dust and whatever, oh, and Jesus. engineers. And then as the devout Muslim, he wanted to pray in a mosque every Friday. So the engineers went ahead and built a mosque that was ready for him when he arrived every Friday. So he would have mosques dotted across. When he reached uh, Egypt, he saw business opportunities and uh, he wanted to be like the good ambassador and then make a connection and so on. So they built mosques and all sorts of structures. And they handed out so much gold in Egypt that it was seen in the economy 10 years later. Whoa. And then he went back home after going to Mecca and continued running this marvelous kingdom, this empire. Richest country in the world, richest guy in the world, Africa. So he was mainly doing trade with, with who? The Romans at the time? Uh, 800 years ago, that would be quite late for the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire probably sort of... Like Roman Empire out of Rome would it be until... 300 after Christ and then they okay. went to Byzantine right and they had an, an additional three or four hundred years before it was gone so this would have been 1200 it would have been middle ages mm. across Europe there would be French empires Italian empires right. uh, Spanish kim kingdoms uh, Danish kingdom yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they would trade they would bring it up to the Mediterranean and then it would be sailed across and Probably huge trading stations in the north of Africa. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fascinating. Mansa Musa, you said. Mansa Musa. I'll yeah. look that guy. Mansa is king or emperor, and Musa yeah. was his name. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I was in Taiwan, I met um, the the son of one of these kings in I forgot what country it was, but I don't know if it was real or not. But the stories he was telling me were were quite grand. Yeah. About uh, you know the, the kind of stuff that they get up to, like, yeah. They don't lead a very uh, 
a very uh, you know they, they've got enough money basically they, they've got a plenty they're quite wealthy There's plenty of money on this planet <laughs> yeah. it's well, not yeah. really well distributed <laughs> yeah indeed indeed the ones that help in my experience the ones that help are the ones that do not have anything to protect like they don't have a lot of money and like the ones that have big boats with helicopters on them you don't get close to the boats you don't get a ride you yeah forget about it yeah unless it becomes a competition between one rich guy and another one and go like look i have the power to help this guy then you can go somewhere i guess but yeah. i haven't had that chance what was it like in monaco was it a lot more colder than uh, african countries i assume in monaco yeah um the culture or i mean you when you visited monaco right have you well, been monaco is it feels artificial it's yeah. big boats and expensive hotels and houses and yeah, yeah. It's a tiny 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 place um how, how would you and would you manage to live on your 20 dollars a day sort of thing on it's uh, an average so okay. uh, sometimes i go somewhere and then it's 50 dollars a day and then i go somewhere else and it's five dollars a day right it sort of works out but you know there's couch surfing then you can yeah. get your accommodation you is, know, is, is the couch surfing network still being used is it still not going at all. not at all it Dead. is by others yes it is by other people yeah okay okay um but by me nah it's been a while i've met some very good friends to this day yeah this is 10 years of friendship just through couch surfing yeah fantastic experience they, uh, a couple just got married and then they came to and couch surfing just recently opened uh, started yeah. and uh, I put my list of my property and and they came and stayed with me and Israeli friends I go visit them they come visit me great yeah you know when it's when his birthday I send him a bottle of whiskey yeah. when it's my birthday he sends me a bottle of whiskey Good. it's fantastic yeah. <laughs> I met a lot of good people through yeah. couch surfing yeah. I used it a lot more earlier on yeah it's a funny thing because if you go to a city like Paris and then you send out, you have to send out at least 20 couchsurfing requests. And then you're lucky that someone oh, will yeah. reply because yeah. people in Paris probably get a hundred people contacting them every day. Mm. And then the same in Madrid and Barcelona and these places. And then eventually I got into Western Africa and I was still in the send out 20 requests. And then you get 20 people coming back said, yeah, stay at my place. <laughs> 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 it's a completely different ordeal. Yeah. It was cool. Uh, I used it a lot, and then I started using Airbnb sometimes also. Uh, yeah, the and privacy is—it's more you know, a little bit higher standard sort of thing. Yeah, right? I'm a bed. A, I'm a terrible guest because I have a lot of work. Like, there's always Editing. some emails I need to reply yeah. to and comments, social media need to be updated, coordinate schedule, buy tickets, uh, get a visa, all sorts of stuff. Write a blog. Oh, it just goes on and on and on. So I'm the guest that shows up and after a few minutes goes, well, that was nice. Do you have a Wi-Fi connection? <laughs> Can I just, I just need to work for four hours and then that's really six or eight hours. And then, and that's not what couchsurfing is supposed to be. No, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly the wrong, wrong, wrong yeah. attitude. You're supposed to get together, meet people. Yeah, drink go wine, out to have someone's fun. favorite bar, yeah, go up on the yeah, hill. Yeah. Or but I love that too. If you've got time, it's fantastic. Like, yeah. wow, what's your favorite country? Yeah. It's, oh, it's mine. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There are times when, when I could have easily stayed in it, but deliberately chose to do couch surfing. Because I found it a lot easier to get to know the local people. In yeah. a hotel, it's so boring. It's so freaking boring. Like, I went to go stay in Australia. I mean, 
still friends with this chap today and we like message each other he's it turns out to be a technical guy like i am <laughs> I, I talk to him i ask him advice on like markets and market related stuff and oh it's great yeah. it's fantastic i suppose maybe i've outgrown it a bit though now we're doing fancy hotels <laughs> just take it easy there the social media is in some ways a substitute for couch surfing because people will reach out and say well, when you're coming to my country you have to contact me oh and uh, yeah so quite often mm. I'll, I'll list that I'll put that in my phone ah, I'll, okay. just, I'll just save them as the guy's or the woman's name okay. and then country yeah. and then the or number city. or contact yeah. details and then when I get closer I can look in my phone and search by country you actually do that huh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. how else would I I've, I think so actually yeah. you're writing a network of, of, of like literally you can go anywhere in the world now. You can put out a message and, yeah. and somebody I'll, I'll will you. know somebody. I'll save you by your name and M Labs and Hong Kong. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then so, so, yeah. And then so th there's, a, there's a good network that you can tap into. Like Mike was saying, like, you know, like the, 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 way, to, the way to travel around the world is by, is by I can say riding. I don't want to say make it sound like freeloading, but riding networks of good people. Yeah, true. So, yeah, friends of friends. That's of a friends. great way to do it, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Because you can show up with a guidebook in some city you've never been to before, and you can have a marvelous time and get a good meal and so on. But you go there with someone who's local. That's, that opens up Such the city difference. in a completely different way. So, because Plus the perspective. Uh, like You go, oh, this is a wonderful place, and you're next to a local guy who goes, no, absolutely not. And then they will tell you some stories. Yeah. Or you'll go like, this is really odd. I don't understand this. Say, well, there's actually a reason, and they'll explain it for I you. That, like yeah. You just see the world in a different yeah. way. Like when I was in uh, the uh, Holocaust Museum in, in, in uh, Rwanda. Yeah. Um, no, the Genocide uh, Museum. A geno sorry. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. The Genocide yeah. Museum. Um, a, a girl named uh, Nadine. She yeah. took me through the, the thing, and then we arrived at one one particular poster, and and you could see she was almost like you know, there was an element of like a preparation or something like that. And then she's like, uh, like okay, you see, this is in a church. This is the church where where people were throwing hand grenades into this into this particular church. And um, see that girl over there? That's me. Yeah. Oh Jesus! It was such. Oh my God! I just hugged her. I was like, Oh my God! Oh my God! I can't. It's a tough museum. Fuck it's me. so well done. Fuck me. You're led through. Like you can't say, I want to see a little bit of this. You go through no. it all, and it's so well done. And they explain the story so unbelievably well, and it's so emotional. Yeah. Um, emotional. I wanted to say. Yeah. Um, for for anyone, I I would think plus it's not that long ago so you get mm. on the back of uh, these motorcycle taxis this kind of stuff you know once in a <laughs> while one of them he has like a, yeah. um, there's a punga chop a, there a, going. A, a cut yeah. that goes you know and he just survived you know he's lying between hundreds or thousands of people in a field probably passed out uh, but didn't bleed out and was saved and that grew back together and now he's riding a motorcycle taxi and picking you up yeah survivors and I remember, because I was with locals too, and we went to a pub and, you know, having done a little bit of research, I was asking, I was asking some questions about the Hutus and Tutsis and I was like, and they don't talk about that. They Rome. don't at all. Hey, yeah, that's just they don't. No, no, no. They were like, no, this, we, we got to keep this, you know, under, yeah. and we, I was sitting at the table and I was like, so what's the deal going on here? You know, what's, what's, and, and you could see like, 
they wanted to, they wanted to speak about it. You know, they wanted to talk about it, but at the same time, they didn't want to. How, how difficult for me to? I mean, can you imagine that in your, your situation? Like, you want to be open and frank about it, but then at the same time, you want to you want to keep it. Don't want it to be your primary thing that you're showing the country off for. And I say, like, for example, can can you like point around the room and tell the difference between a Hutu and Tutsi? And, and, and uh, yeah, they would say yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I say, do you hold any any sort of like resentment? And then Fiona, she she turned to me. She said, she said, um, you know, my my father was killed. Yeah. And I was like, reality, you know, because I didn't think it was that close. Yeah. That she said my father was killed, and she said, I don't want to meet the person that killed my father, but at the same time, I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't do anything. And I was like, okay. Takes I, time. Yeah. I, I said, I, I thought, okay, I had been a little bit, a little bit of bull in a china shop during that, that particular thing. It wasn't too bad, but if I had done it now, I would think I would have been a lot more tactful right. than that particular thing. But, oh, God, Jesus. It, it's, it's a rather an emotional place. When you, when you get in with local people, you don't just stay in a hotel or something like that. Like, it's emotional. Real. There was a bloodbath between yeah. um, Danish-Swedish war. Yeah. And uh, today there's a bridge between our countries. Yeah. And the Germans, they came up and occupied Denmark during Second World War. Mm. Although our government had written an agreement and there was written and signed an agreement that they would not attack us, but they came and took over. Um, Denmark was trying to position itself as a neutral country. It mm. was in First World War and wanted to be in Second as well. Germans came anyway and overtook, and uh, lots of resentment towards uh, Germans. Especially amongst the older 70, generation. 70, 80 yeah. years ago now, you know, like, we know the stories, but you can't blame the ones that no, you can't. Did live today. <laughs> You're going my, like this. my mom's that generation. You Plus, they invest heavily you know. in Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I mean, like, like you know, there was, a, there was all the rage, you know, having those uh, German jackets yeah. with a, a thing. Yeah. Um, I got my hands on one of those when I was when I was you know in my teens. Yeah. My mom. You know she's she's seventy. She's seventy four now. My mom, essentially, you know, like a cat, with her hair goes up like that. She went like that. You know, she was like, yeah. It's the it's difficult to ch that generation to hear you know what the stories they sort of went to. Is is this is the war was before my mom. But the thing is that, like, you know, there are consequences, there are after effects um, of, of that. Anyway, that jacket very quickly got, was squirreled away, just disappeared. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> ah. Coming back to, you said Monaco, and there was something I wanted to say about the Danish Red Cross as well before, oh, yeah. which I didn't, uh, so if you don't mind. Um, so loneliness is like a first world country problem. Yeah. For people, they get isolated and... We lived for a long time and sometimes people are married and the children they move abroad and uh, you're there with your spouse and one dies and you live for the next 10 or 15 years on your own mm. and children you might feel like you're a good son because you call your mother once a week but that might be a conversation of 20 to 30 minutes or less once a week and then the rest of the week your mother is or your father is just lonely and they almost attack the mailman uh, uh, just for social interaction mm. 
So the Red Cross will see if they can identify these people and then activate them and bring them into groups and give them something to do, give them purpose and uh, yeah, and hopefully people will make new friends and and, and, and you know, that's, that's one way to combat that. And that's also sort of an issue in Monaco, like people mm. that grow old, they have a fortune. So they're already sort of isolated in their wealth. And then the spouse dies and the children are somewhere else if there are children and you just kind of go crazy slowly like solitary prison in an open world and the red cross identifies that and and helps and that's just not a problem in other countries like uh suicide rate is zero in some countries because why the heck would you kill yourself like mm. that's you know those white people kill themselves like we don't kill ourselves uh, and the depression doesn't seem to be as much of a problem in some countries as it is in others mm. and yeah so you can call it first world problems or you can call it whatever you want but the red cross is also there uh, mm. on top of that mm. and you were going to mention something else uh, about the danish uh you talk about monaco and then you said you're going to say something about well, the that's just to say that the danish red cross is a country where a, a big part of what the red cross does yeah. outside of fundraising um, yeah. and uh, immigration and it's uh, loneliness combating loneliness mm. you might yeah. also have a child where you grew up in a horrible family maybe one of your parents is, is dead or in prison or something like this you have mm. drinks and the, you're the weird kid at school, like you, you don't really have proper parenting. And then the Danish Red Cross will match that child up with another, uh, with another person that can sort of mentor and, and help and so on. There's, there's one thing that really got to me, which the Danish Red Cross does that I just, the more I thought about it, I went like, that is essential to me, which is that people grow old and they grow older uh, there are hospitals and airbags and bicycle helmets and you know all sorts of stuff oh you clean and up the apartments right no so oh. you might be old and alone and brought to a hospital knowing that you're going to die within the next few days or a week and there's nobody so you're going to die alone the nurses and doctors are busy. They can't sit by your side. They'll come and check on you and so on. But for the most part, you're just lying there looking at the ceiling going like, I can't believe I don't have anyone here. I can't believe like I don't have children or they're not here. Or I, don't, my, I outlived my friends. Mm. Here I am looking at the ceiling. I'm alone. I'm going to make this transition on my own, alone. I'm going to be alone for the last minutes, days of my life. And the Red Cross will send out people. Nobody in Denmark is supposed to die alone. So if you don't want to talk, they'll just be in the room and you'll know that there's someone in the room with you. They'll sit and read a magazine and so on. If you're incapable of speaking, there might be two Red Cross uh, volunteers uh, and uh, they will chat and you can maybe listen in to the conversation, but mm. just know that there's someone, someone will sit and hold your hand if that's what you want or someone mm. will sit and talk to you. Nobody dies alone. And that, that is important to me um, first world problems but that's yeah. where i come from no 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 that, that no that's fine no I, I always thought that i you know i'd rather take myself to the top of the building and do a swan dive yeah. <laughs> oh, i'm just kidding no i mean yeah, no, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no I've, I've had my few brushes with death and um i think i think i would be okay 
going alone. I think I'll be okay with that. Yeah. It wouldn't bother me that much. Because, I mean, at that point, it's like... Man, if I had family with me, it would be great, too. But, uh, I don't know. Yeah, well... Talk about... Yeah, it's a bit of yeah, a heavy yeah, no, no. Like I've well. got uh, that, that can lead on to a lot of other stuff, which I probably won't be a good idea to open up to. Yeah. <laughs> or another yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Or off camera, at least. Yeah. Over <laughs> beers, we'll bring Sebastian. <laughs> the three of us can go have beers. <laughs> Whereabouts are you staying now? Uh, here so in Hong I've Kong. had four different locations while in Hong Kong. Oh, okay. Uh, when I arrived, this uh, family asked if I needed a place to stay for a few days. Cool. And I'm like, brilliant. It was supposed to be four days in Hong Kong. I didn't. I wasn't supposed to come to Hong Kong at all. Yeah, maybe you want to lead that as well as like how you actually got locked down here. That yeah. that that be. I mean, it's not a bad place to be locked down in. So I was nine <laughs> countries from becoming the first in history to reach every country completely without flying, Arr. and I've been clawing my way through a big part of the world. I've been fighting for it. I've been wanting to go home since 2015. Last Christmas, I swore that was going to be the last Christmas I had outside of my home. The next one was going to be at home. I didn't know how much more I had in me to keep going at this. And I need to get from Federated States of Micronesia, Micronesia in the, in the Pacific, to Palau, uh, making that country number 195. No flying. So you uh, get on a so boat? So there's, there's oh, a Jesus. shipping company that connects between those two countries. But it's hard to get on board a container ship it's you have to see it as a form of sponsorship um, and you need to build up the relationships and you need to reach the right like you'll just get ignored for the most part you have nothing that you can bring to the table most people have zero they can bring to the table like why would they take you on board like they're not just a pure liability it's, it's not a cruise you know it's, yeah. it's work like it's, it's the equivalent would be to go to an office here in no. Hong Kong and say, I would like to sleep here. <laughs> um, I see you have a space left on the floor over there. I would like to sleep here. And they would just look at you and go, are you insane? Fuck off. Go to a hotel or a bench or whatever you want. And that's what the shipping companies, they would go like, why the heck would you ask if you could go? Like, why would you think you could get on our ship? You, we're not a transport company. Go to the airport or buy a ship or swim or whatever you need. And that's where it's at. There's so much, there are liability issues. Like why, sure. uh, yeah. uh, uh, why the Insurance, heck? all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. You, yeah. Could, you could do a number of stupid yeah. things. You could break something or yeah. you could bring a disease on board. You could be, you'd be annoying. Maybe you're just annoying. Am I right in yeah. saying the captain has full rights to just pitch you overboard if he wants to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I am a, like the, the captain is the king. He's the emperor. He's the guy on board the ship. Whatever he says goes. But he wants to keep his job and someone is paying the captain, you know, unless the captain owns the ship, which is not the case with container ships. And then so he will he will lean in any direction that the company wants. You know, if there is no alcohol policy, then there's no alcohol on board. And if the company says we don't want passengers, you're certainly not getting on board the ship. The captain's not going to go. But you seem nice. <laughs> I'm sure I'll happen. risk my job for that. Yeah. But anyway, so I am in with uh, a number of, of uh, shipping companies, some very large ones as well, and they've been very forthcoming and very, very helpful. There's so like you managed to s wangle your way onto these containers. I've been ships. on 25 container ships uh, so far. Really? I, so I thought, yeah. it, okay, so I knew it was difficult, but how did you, uh, what's, what's the secret? Or, or maybe we well, can tell me off camera. 
if you're making world history, <laughs> but that is, uh, it sounds obnoxious, but that is incentive. You can, go I see. To, you can go to someone and you can say, listen, this has not been done for you. You can take part in it. Uh, so that, is, that is incentive. Some people will go like, I don't care. Like I made history yesterday. Um, <laughs> I, I drove on the wrong side of the road for two hours. <laughs> but, but some people will sort of grasp the momentous, like the last great first is a yeah. sentence I've heard a few times recently. And you could, you could sell that. You say, this is the last, this is the last great first. Once this is done, there's nothing left. Like I will be the, the first to go to every country in the world without flying. After that, there's nothing left. Everything's been done. Mm. Which is not true, but it is, it sounds good. <laughs> but and it's a know, good pitch when you want to get on a container yeah, ship. you have to sell it. But that generally doesn't sell it. The Red Cross angle can sell it. Um, yeah. I leave uh -huh. that as my last option. Like if I have nothing left, then I might mention, by the way, I am associated with the Danish Red Cross. Um, like 99% of the time, that's not been the angle. Yeah. And uh, social media is good. The, the larger it is, like they all, they know that these ships are messy. Like yeah. they are, they're not a positive to the environment. You could argue that you are moving a lot of cargo and moving it in any other way would be worse for the environment, but the ships are not good for the environment. And the fuel they, they put on, although it's getting better year for year, uh, it is the cheapest stuff you can buy. And it's, it's also not great. And a lot of these shipping companies are actually taking huge leaps, huge strides into segregating uh, waste on board and, uh, and technology that will clean the exhaust that comes out of the funnel. Mm. And Scrubbing it. Yeah, they do a number of things. And they do a number of things to combat drugs and combat piracy and to combat everything like they don't they don't want to dump water so they pick up water and they dump water and they want to do this in a way that it doesn't harm the nature that you're not moving sea life from one side of the planet to the other and suddenly pollute the marine life there with sea life that doesn't belong and so there are a number of great initiatives that these shipping companies are doing they're trying to do it as good as they can while still making money and running a business mm. and the media isn't busy writing about that but you might be. You say, I have a blog. It's read by so and so many people. I have social media. On average, it reaches so and so many people across so many countries. Cool. Bring mm. me on board and um, I'll do some PR for you. Oh, okay. So that's an angle. Um, I've spoken at almost every company that has ever carried me on board a container ship. So I've been in there and engaged with their employees and talked about you mean on the container ship or on 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 land? No, not on. Well, on the ships, you just depending yeah, sure. on the ship. Oh, okay, okay. So you do a bit of a motivational talk or something along those lines. Well, it goes a long way. Like if if you if you show up and you go like I'm trying to go to every country without flying, they think you're a tourist. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, like <laughs> everyone travels uh, at some point, and then yeah. they think it's just a bit more of that. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not but you need the full ex explanation to understand sure that to do in my case to do what i do yeah. it doesn't come easy it's not something that just anyone can do no, most yeah. people are more sensible than what i am and yeah. would have given up and gone home a long time ago yeah, yeah. i'm just really really thick and i keep 
at you know and most people wouldn't it comes with sacrifice people have to understand that and you have to weigh out how much do you want to sacrifice at which point is it just pure nonsense because i would argue just going to every country in the world in an unbroken journey without flying holds very little value to the world if you're doing it as a goodwill ambassador promoting the humanitarian cause positively if you're promoting people and countries and peace and friendship and people are just people and a stranger is a friend you've never met before which is the motto of this project and has been from the beginning then you're adding value mm. that's what's important yeah the people like people live in every country it's not like you know, you're not discovering <laughs> something here. People have been to every country in the world. Um, you could argue that there's a guy who's gone to every country in the world without flying, although he broke it off in, you know, flying home and coming back out, continuing and this kind of stuff. But the line is pure. So he did go from the first country to the last without flying, apart from the flying he did to go home or go on a holiday or okay. go and do something else and then come back. And that's where I am go like that's not going to every country without flying and that guy who happens to be a great guy uh, he he goes that is i've got guinness world record i've got so and so like it's all it's all good i go but yeah i understand the line is unbroken but i mean i run a marathon every month i did six kilometers today i maybe be running six kilometers tomorrow accumulated that will be a marathon by the end of the month Oh, but yeah, no yeah. one's going to give me a medal because like, you ran a marathon, right? Um, so if you, if you pick his airplanes out of that, would he still have been able to do it? Mm. And it really comes down to bureaucracy, logistics, endurance, persistence, these things. Um, it's not just buying a bus ticket or a train ticket mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. getting to it on time. Mm -hmm. That is also a big part of it. But that's, that's not the game. Mm. The, the game of going to every country in the world is tough and that's why you have more than 550 people have gone to space you've got less than 300 people have gone to every country well this is this is this is, i wanted to uh, mention my, my brother has rowed across the atlantic yeah a no road, motor, a rowboat rowboat ah cool yeah. rowboat you know um not the first though <laughs> no, no no but more people have gone to space yeah, yeah than rode yeah. across the bloody atlantic yeah i believe that <laughs> i would much rather go to space than <laughs> rowed across the atlantic <laughs> you must see the, the the drama that he went through good yeah. grief good grief you know getting on these container ships you know, it's, it's rather stable but when you had 51 days at, at, at sea rowing oh, across the flipping yes. Atlantic and, and you're, you know, you're, 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 I saw one of those boats in the Caribbean and they put up like these billboards, the guy, his yeah, name yeah, is yeah, age. Yeah. And then next to it, it said, this was his program. And every minute was scheduled out. Well, like you get up at this hour, you shit yes. in a bucket, you eat this much, you row for two yes. hours and do this. And that's just 51 days of that. And you go like the mental element of that. Now, can you imagine? Okay, my There's a guy here in Hong Kong. I'll connect you with him. Please. He is going to be the first to row across the Northwest Passage. Oh, dear. They're oh, going to do it in 2021. Okay. And uh, they're, fun COVID. they're fundraising right now. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. Uh, you should meet him. I would, I would love to. I'll, I'll pick up the contact. But, like, like for example, you know, R R Rory, um, on Christmas Day... Was that your brother, Rory? This is my brother, Rory, Rory McKenzie. Um, you know, he, he's had, he was a, a combat medic. Yeah. Um, 
had his right leg blown off in 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 uh, Iraq. And, blown uh, off. Blown off. Yeah. So yes, uh, yeah, he's he's lost his right leg, but he had a little bit of shrapnel in his ass. Um, prosthesis. Is that what it's called? Say Prosthe- prosthetic. Yeah, yeah. He's got a prosthetic. Yeah, but um, it was like it was it ro- row for recovery. This is another. He ro- He was rowing across, missing yeah. one leg. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a lot of the combat veterans. Um, six, that adds six a pe- lot of credit to the six people. Six people. Four of them have been disabled in in in, in a war zone. Wow. And 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 the six of them went across. And on Christmas Day, you know, after he's lost a lot of weight, because um, it's a very strenuous activity, you know, going around in circles and like, oh shit, you know, you got to get the angle right. Um, on Christmas Day, uh, the, the the little bits of shrapnel. We're, we're starting to come out, you know, because when you sit down and suddenly there's a metal bit of poking in yeah. your ass, you know, you don't have that, that fat buffer. Yeah. So he reaches around and he pops a few uh, uh, painkillers, reaches around, pulls out the metal, metal, metal shrapnel from his ass and then, and then continues rowing. Jesus Christ. Well, if, if you're that guy, <laughs> then you're also the guy that does that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And uh, the, yeah. the discipline and the commitment to do yeah. something like that. It's yeah. a much shorter period of, of time. You know, it takes out much less oh, of your life. Super intense. Super intense. Yeah, but it is. It yeah. is for sure. You know, like so they they're laughing at basically laughing at people who go on top of Mount Everest at this point. Going, oh, the tourists can do it. You have enough money and so on. No, like if you get on top of Everest and come back down, you can well demand done. respect. Well done. Yeah. yeah. You and walk uh, past those dead bodies. Yeah. Yeah, but also like there, there's no air. And you get tired, and it's cold, yeah. and it's miserable, and yeah. you need to pee in your pants or whatever you need to do, yeah. and uh, you get frostbite, and it's, it's that's nobody does it for fun. Yeah. Uh, or, or they're a sadist, you know. But but more than five thousand people have done it, so yeah, it's, it's, and it takes up a few days of your life to do yeah. the climb. Yeah. But in the same way that there's a lot of preparation, you know, in the same way that Usain Bolt, he, he works for less than 10 seconds and he has a world record. But yeah, maybe he trained for 20 years <laughs> of his life to do that in 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, so your brother went across in 51 days. That's intense. Yeah. That's less than two months. But yeah. there was preparation for that as well. Oh, hell of a lot. And, hell of and a lot. those two months or those 51 days. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Some of it was probably good, but the yeah. majority would just have been, why am I doing this? But, 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 but it, it's almost like a little bit addictive, addictive for him because n- now he's like, he also does like a goodwill kind of thing you know, for, the, yeah. for, the, for, the, for the British Army, but also for um, uh, NGOs and whatnot. He helps raise loads of money for them. Loads. He does, he does absolutely manic things like, you know, those paragliding things with a, as a paraglider with a, um, an engine on the back? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like three of them that would go... What, what was it called? Paragliding? Uh, not paragliding. Um, uh, yeah, I know what Okay, let's just say paragliding, but with an engine on the back. Yeah. The whole length of Kenya. Flies the length of Kenya. Yeah, bro. That's <laughs> and then It has to be very fuel efficient, right? <laughs> and without, then, without landing? Uh, no, no, I, I think they do land. I think, oh. I, I think that they, they do. But the point is that they're doing the whole length of Kenya. You know, like that's not, this is a non-trivial activity. But um, it sounds great though. I mean, uh, totally, you, you get totally. to look down on majestic Kenya. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're just, let's, you're let's just not sitting, <laughs> sitting down. 
I think the Rory, most annoying thing would be the engine sound. I think Rory would beg to differ of uh, <laughs> you know, like you gotta deal with all sorts of like air current turbulence and all sorts of things. You know, anything could go wrong. Yeah, while you're sitting oh, okay. down. <laughs> you're sitting there looking at oh there's a giraffe. Ah. Oh, but then also the, uh, uh, then he also uh, him and a, a group uh, another sort of same group of people they they jet skied yeah. around ireland <laughs> yeah okay now that's a little bit more different you're sitting but as you're constantly oh, having to deal with that the arms <laughs> you must have after that yeah 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 there's a island in the middle of denmark which is 300 kilometers to circumnavigate and i did that in a kayak years ago oh, it took eight days it's been done a lot faster than that they have races around but i did it as a solo trip and I just thought it was a good idea. And I guess I rode for a couple of days and I realized this is definitely not a good idea. <laughs> but, uh, at which point I had told everyone that I was going to do it. But like, I didn't want oh, to shit. come back and go, no, I didn't do it anyway. Because that's not who I am. So I kept going and eventually you get halfway and you go like, this is only halfway. Yeah. You got blisters everywhere and the body is aching. And you go like, what's the point? Like, why, why am I doing it alone? Why am I not together with someone and we can discuss everything while we go like, look at the bird or look at the fish or look at uh, how's your ass feeling? And, this kind of stuff. and I got around and uh, I did it. But um, yeah, dumb idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I, know, I mean, I don't think you mentioned why you chose to do every country in the world. Did you? No, not no. really. Why? Yeah. There's the commercial answer. <laughs> you won't like that. And then, well, there's, uh, and then there's the true answer. The true answer is more the Viking side of you coming out. Like, I can do this shit. Like, I'm going to do it something really difficult. Like, mm. badass difficult, right? I was observing this world and trying to work out what's the future going to be like. Uh -huh. And I saw the jobs were disappearing a lot of things were getting automated uh, there's yeah. a lot more efficiency and there are a lot more people on this planet as well so you combine those two things you got you have more people but you have less jobs that's not really really good and then there's a third element which is that now we can just move people around you know if, if someone has gone to university and is qualified and speaks the language just fly them over and set them up get that guy or woman a, a visa and an apartment and come over and work so you know at which point do you need to ask yourself what what are you bringing to the table that's mm. so unique that you cannot be replaced and for most people <laughs> that's nothing like any anybody can be replaced and i just started wondering about that. like what's my job situation going to look like in the future when we're, we're already overpopulated i guess but when it gets worse and fewer jobs and Basically, anyone could be my competitor. You'd bring someone over who works for less money, complains less than me, does a more efficient job, speaks more languages. Why would they want to keep me for anything? When is, when is my job going to go to someone else? Mm. And uh, you can sit down and complain, but that's just free market. You know, that's just, it's just fair. Best man for the job, you know? So... There was sort of a slump in the economy. This was 2013. And I was used to working nonstop. Like I would go from one project to the next. I worked two years in Libya. I worked a year in Bangladesh. I worked this in the transportation lo logistics. Logistics, yeah. yeah. I, it, I worked a number of places. 
And I came home in early 2013 and I was waiting for the phone to ring because it always does. And someone says, uh, do you have time? We have a job. We'll pay you so and so much. We'll give you a team. This and then I usually just say yes. And then I go to the next destination. Uh, I just saw a little network where people would set me up. Are you good. a ship's captain or? No. Okay. Ship, a ship's captain? Ship, ship, yeah, yeah. Like, w w so what do you do on? Do you actually go to these places uh, doing logistics? Like oh, yeah. So in, in Libya, we were building a cement factory. So, oh, okay. you know, there were uh, 30, 40, 50 engineers oh. and then uh, a couple of thousand uh, workers from India and from Egypt. And then you need a logistics coordinator to make sure that things get out of the port or out okay. of the airport and okay. arrives to the site and the, the paperwork and everyone's happy and the stamps and government okay, okay. and and uh, the engineers they need to know in which order it's coming so that they can do the planning so they're not just sitting around going like where's where the heck is the this and the, where's the heck is the that okay, and that okay. kind of stuff so you so have the lubrication for these rather large projects yeah, then so if everything runs smoothly yeah then uh, nobody's complaining then you're doing your job right yeah you do <laughs> yeah. but you got home you were waiting for a phone call and, and it didn't it didn't, didn't ring. come and no emails and you're like, hmm. well that's okay because they pay quite a lot on those projects especially for a single guy and like you don't have children and a wife and uh, this kind of stuff so you come home and you can lie idle for a few months at least maybe even four or five or six months um without worrying about finances and you have to start worrying and say, well, now I definitely need a project, but you know, you've got some, some freedom. And for me, that was never a consideration because I would just go from one project to the next, or maybe a, a week or sometimes a month, but then I'd be on another project somewhere. Mm. One month, two months, three months, and the phone wasn't really ringing. And I would go like, well, I'm still fine. I wonder, is it going to ring? And I found out no one's gone to every country in the world without flying. And I was like, that is, that is, uh, that would be a great achievement. Like that would be, anyone who did that would be someone I would look up to. That is for sure. That's my game. Like I am, I'm into the firsts, you know, the first to go to Antarctica, the first to go around Antarctica, the first to go across Antarctica, the first to go on top Everest. Did you do that? Did no. You do oh, okay. okay I've done okay. any of that. Because it's been done. Like the, yeah. you, you could be the second or the tenth or the one thousand. Yeah. Like, you know, running a marathon today is is it's not nothing, but it's almost nothing. Yeah. You know, you need to do an Ironman to get people's respect. <laughs> and fifteen years ago, if you did a marathon, people would uh, tip mm. their hat. They go like, "I couldn't do that." Oh, you did a marathon. But today, two thousand and twenty, <laughs> people go like, "Yeah, what what was your time?" And then if you say mm. you, you did it in three hours, they go, wow, I couldn't do that. <laughs> if you say you did it in four and a half hours, they go like, what happened? <laughs> it's, it's shifted that much in 15 years. Uh, and, and today it's the Iron Man. Like yeah. you, you go out and you, you swim for almost four kilometers, 3.8 kilometers. And, and you get up and you get on a bicycle and you ride that bicycle for 180 kilometers. And you toss the bicycle and then you run a marathon. <clears throat> and even today... And that's hard. Yeah. But even today, someone's going to ask, what was your time? <laughs> as if, it's like as if it matters. If you did that, I mean, the title is Iron Man. <laughs> Period. But it's just not enough. You know, you've, you've been on top of Everest and people will go, yeah, but I saw this photo. People just basically standing online. I go like, yeah, and 10 of them died because of that, yeah. you know? 
like I would like to see you go on top of Everest. People, they think they can do stuff. And especially if you come from a country like mine. Like, it's very much like, don't think you're better than me. Like, don't think you're better than society. Don't think that you're anything. Like, it, Is that ingrained into the D D Denmark culture where you think you was don't a, think you're better than society? Yeah, or? it's called the Yanti law. And it's, um, it's not a proper law. It's more like a social arrangement. It stems from a book which a was convention, written. convention, really. Yeah. It stems from a book which was written about this society where they had, I can't remember how many rules, maybe 10 or 15, the Yanti law. And it was very much about keeping people down, keeping people in place. No one was supposed to rise. And, okay. You know, you're supposed to be humble. Right. That's kind of nice, don't you think? It is. I like it. But it is. It is very nice. Um, it does prohibit society from growing rapidly because everyone's supposed to back off and not... It's complex. It's a little bit more than that because, of course, you can try your best and just thank everyone and not boast and not post on social media and so on and so on. But you're not supposed to... You're just not... Everyone's supposed to be equal throughout don't rise above right don't build a company and become wealthy like don't otherwise your legs will get chopped down or what how how how, how does the leg arguably, chopping happen arguably what i do is slightly frowned upon in oh, my own imagine country so, yeah because go like what makes you think that you can go out and have this year on holiday while we need to feed the children and pay the bills and we need uh. to take responsibility and you're just out like you're to do what i do you need to be at the top of the food pyramid <laughs> like what what are you lacking in life to to sit down and decide i'm going to visit all the countries that are flying i'm not coming home until it's done like what what the heck's going on in your mind that's the top of the food pyramid you know you're not looking for shelter. You're not looking for food. You're not fighting disease. You're not yeah. like you're secure all the way through to make a decision like that. That's, that's, mm. that's crazy. Yeah. So I think that's frowned upon I, the, the bulk of my followers are not Danish. I have some followers in Denmark, but that's not, but they're all, they're, they're, they're all sort of like, look on. Oh, look at this guy. What's he, we doing? mentioned <laughs> Kenya a few times and they oh, yeah. went like, we can't believe you've only got a thousand followers. Like if you were from Kenya, you would have millions. They said that we had this guy in a wheelchair who rolled his wheelchair all the way down to Tanzania. And huh. people were along the side of the road all the way cheering him. He's billions of followers and billions of all the sponsors, uh, engagement. Wow. He was the hero. Like, there's the pride of Kenya. Look at this guy <laughs> doing this in a wheelchair. This is amazing. So you, you good sir from Denmark, you're doing this. Like, they must love you. He said, I don't know who I am. <laughs> there are more people in Hong Kong who know who I am than people in Denmark. Right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, to get back to why am I doing this? So I just got to a point where I started to look into it, dabble a bit with the idea if I was to do this, if I were to do this, how would I do it? What would it cost? Where would I start? What would be the logistics of it? How much time would it take? Who would I get on board? What would I wear? What would I pack? And I just got deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. And then uh, at, at some point, uh, the phone rang and uh, I was offered a project. And I looked at it and went like, wow, that project isn't that interesting. And then the phone, I got an email and I looked at it and went like, oh, no, I'll turn that down. That's not, that's not a great, but like there isn't enough money in it. That's not a location I want to go and work in. And, so, and then I had a call where I went like, that is 
that's the kind of money I'm looking for. That is the location I want to go to. That sounds like an in interesting job. That sounds like that's, that's what I want to do. And I turned that down. And when I turned that down, I knew I'm invested in Once Upon a Saga. And um, yeah, we looked for partners and funding and media strategy. You said we. Yeah, I brought some friends on board okay. uh, from the beginning back home. Okay. Talked to some of my friends and some were more interested in others and some were really engaged. Go like, oh, we can definitely get sponsored for something like this. Or, okay. oh, you should think about this. And so so they, there were, we were four of us in the project group. And these are all, the other three are, they have families and children and jobs. And so they're, they're here in spirit, occupied. really. But they were there to build it up. Yeah. And if I call upon them, they're there as well. But on a day-to-day -day basis, they are passively, they're living their own lives <laughs> and yeah, that kind of stuff. But that got it off the ground. I need to set a date. And then I left. And the overall idea to come back to this, where's the world heading? If you want to be successful, if you want to have success in the future, you might want to position yourself in blue water strategy. Oh, blue ocean strategy. Blue ocean strategy, yeah, blue yeah. ocean strategy is a blue ocean, red ocean strategy. So you want to have few competitors and you want to have a unique product. Hmm. And if you're the only one who's done something, <coughs> that opens doors. It has to open doors. Hmm. So leaving home thinking, I'll do this, I'll have that to fall back on. I should be able to I mean, just think about it long enough, you'll find some way you can use it to your advantage if you're the only one that has something. Um, not with a clear thought about what I would use it for, but just go like, yeah, basically well, storytelling is always going to be valuable. It's been valuable for hundreds of thousands of mm. years. People appreciate stories. And uh, you go out and you get some unique stories, then you, you got something in the bank. But the idea was to go out and then come back within four years, have it done, and then return to logistics. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. And then I, there was, it, it shifted at one point. So people always ask me, are you going to write a book? And I always went, like, no. Like, are you going to what? Write a book. Oh, yes. And, and I was like, no. Like, there was, like, why? Like, I don't have anything to share. I don't have anything to say. So, so that, it was like that for a long time. Plus, like, just the fear of... I've, I've been to libraries, I've been to bookshops, and there are, who knows how many books are in a bookshop? Like, there are a lot of books, and I don't know any of them, you know? <laughs> or, or maybe if we go through them, I'll, I'll know five or ten of them, but the majority of the books in a bookshop or in a library are books that are unknown to me, and that's what my book would be to the rest of the world. <laughs> it would be on a shelf somewhere unknown to the world. Like, why would they... Why would they come towards? My mother would buy a couple of copies. Rely on your good old mum. So, <laughs> so that's sort of where I was coming from. And then eventually it got to a point where I just felt I had something I could offer the world. I had some stories that could teach people about corruption or friendship or fear or courage or a number of different things. And maybe that could be written down in some solid ways. So definitely there will be a book uh, coming at the end of this. But that was not my intention when I left home. And the motivational speaking wasn't super interesting because I didn't really see that I could make much money off it. I didn't see it to be sustainable in Whoa, a future life. Oh, you can life. make a lot of money from it. I have you can make a shitload of money from that. I have learned that since then. And uh, there was a point where I particularly learned that, where I went like, huh, 
Yeah. Huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> like I can do this full so time. As long as, long as I don't get Alzheimer's and just erase it all. Um, yeah, you know, a couple of talks a month would, if you're in the have the right audience and the right connections, then you're you're set. This is how my brother bought a few properties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know all yeah. about that. Like hearing his stories, we got big companies fly him all over the world to go talk. You know, like massive companies like Diageo, that whiskey company, the alcohol company. Yeah. Oh, shit. It's good business. Good business. Yeah, I, I can see it. Yeah. So I enjoy doing it. And that's yeah. that's more important to me, I think. Oh, my, if the money's good, I would probably do it even though if I don't enjoy it. But I happen to really enjoy it. I enjoy getting up in front of an audience yeah. and uh, surprising them. Like they never know what the talk's going to be. They yeah. think they're... they're they always think something and I come with something else. Mm. And there's usually a lot of gratitude afterwards. And then the Q&A is wonderful because it takes the talks in a completely different direction, yeah, depending yeah. on what they want to know. If they want to know about this country or that or where my shoes came from or how long <laughs> I've had my hat or what, whatever it is. Um, yeah. yeah. We're talking about what is a country. How do you define a country? And all like yeah. so, so what countries are outstanding then? They're all outstanding. Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, the, the going final, with number two, what was it, number three line. or number two? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we're 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 flying in we're in different uh, topics here. So so one thing was how did I end up in in Hong Kong? So let's just go yeah, back okay, to that right, for a okay. second mm -hmm. and say that it's difficult to get on these container ships, and I happen to have a leg in with a few container ship shipping companies. And one of them said, well, we have a ship that goes from Micronesia to Hong Kong. Then you wait for four days and you embark another ship that goes to Palau. That was before COVID? Yeah. Well, no, it, it had started, but it hadn't. Not, it wasn't, what month it were wasn't we a in? pandemic. This, uh, the ship arrived to Hong Kong on the 27th of January. All right. So people, they were wearing masks here. And yeah. uh, when the ship arrived, the captain, who was Chinese, said that there's news about a virus outbreak in Wuhan and I said what's a Wuhan <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I said that but I had no idea that there was a city called Wuhan and um, <laughs> as soon as I got my chance I had a look at the map and went, that's a thousand kilometers from Hong Kong that's got nothing to do with me that is so remote like these things pop up now and again like Ebola here and there <laughs> this is so they'll do some reporting on that I feel sorry for the people who live in Wuhan but that's got nothing to do with me I'm a thousand people should calm down <laughs> and uh, then I was supposed to be here for four days I left the ship I disembarked on the 28th of January four days here I was supposed to do a couple of talks one of them got cancelled because the employees got sent home the other one went through and I had to buy a new phone and Hong Kong's perfect for that. Mm. And then it was Chinese New Year and they said, it's not going to be four days. It's going to be an additional seven days. So 11 days altogether. Uh, are you fine with that? And I'm like, yeah, as long as I get on the ship, I'm happy. Hong Kong's a wonderful place. It will give me a little bit more time to explore Hong Kong. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know much about Hong Kong at the time and I was getting into it going like, oh, I like, I like Hong Kong. This is interesting. This is fun. And then within those seven days, Palau closed its borders. And we're like, how, how, what, what are we going to do now? Like, what's, what's the solution here? And we were looking into getting in touch with Palau. It's a country with a population of 
50,000 people or less. By the way, I really want to go to Palau. Yeah, everyone wants to go to Palau. Yeah. Great scuba diving, yeah, I hear. what they say. Yeah. But yeah, tiny island nation in the Pacific, beautiful paradise. And um, they shut their borders. And we tried to get in touch with uh, their government. Because you can do that with a place that has a small population. Mm. Tried to get in touch with their health ministry. Tried to get in touch with the Red Cross there. You know, there was a number of things. And um, all the doors were just closed. There was no way we do. Then we worked out that Palau was only closed to three different places. That would be China, Hong Kong, and Macau. Yep. So if I was coming from any of those, then I couldn't come inside Palau. If I was coming from anywhere else, then I could. And the ship wasn't going straight to Palau. The ship was going to Taiwan first. So the idea was then get on the ship, go to Taiwan, get off the ship, wait a week for the next ship, get on that, and then go to Palau. And Taiwan closed its borders, and Guam <laughs> closed its borders. And then, well, let's see, if, can we get me to, can I go back to South Korea? Because there's a connection from South Korea. Right. And then there's religious ordeal where they brought in oh, all these yeah, cases. Yeah, right. You remember that? I remember that clearly. Yeah. So then suddenly that was a no-go. And then, okay, let's go to Singapore then. Uh, we uh, should probably mention what, what that was about. Maybe the audience are like, well, what do you mean? What happened in Korea? Well, they have <laughs> internet. Go online. Google <laughs> religious spread of disease. In, in Korea. Korea, yeah. Well, they were just, they were what's today known as super spreaders. Like they, yeah. they didn't take it seriously. And they... Do you know the story? I, would just I do. Uh, no, no. I mean, yeah. it, it was it was a it was a church or something or some sort of like religious activity. Yeah. It was. I think it was more of a cult, really. And um, yeah, the, the the room filled with something like two hundred people. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, the infection like a just. Trump rally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we had something similar here, which was the the sugar mamas in Hong yeah, Kong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah that's, man, great. That's our fourth wave. Yeah, yeah they're, 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 thanks to them, we got. Wave number four. Yeah, fantastic. Good old sugar mummies. Anyway, so yeah. that happened. Then the next thing was Singapore. And then suddenly the domestic helpers in Singapore were it was spreading like crazy in their quarters. And they yeah. were getting out of control. They closed their borders. And, yeah. and then not long after that, it was declared a world pandemic. Yeah. At which point, I kind of relaxed a little bit. And went... Every problem is always my problem. So every problem I have within this project is a problem no one else cares about. And, and now suddenly we were in the same boat. You know, like this was not my problem. This was the world's problem. This is something we're fighting together. And that sort of gave me relief that there would be full understanding from anyone why the project had come to, yeah. um, why it had stopped, why, you know, why it couldn't continue at this point everyone would understand there wouldn't be any can't you just or can't you do like everyone would just understand pandemic yeah plus it would give me a much needed pause sure. to just sort of collect myself yeah and i thought well this is gonna blow over in a couple of months so i'll, I'll stick out and uh, here in hong kong uh, they already gave me a visa for three months oh fine. great so i'll be in hong kong for a couple of months and uh yeah i'll get my act together and uh, i'll be ready uh, energized for the last nine countries and here we still are you know it's, it's just been uh, crazy like that but anyway so i came here to get to palau i was not supposed to come to hong kong for for the project right uh, it just oh, because this is classified as china and you've yes. already been to china right yes well hong kong people might disagree but <clears throat> i don't think they really disagree I, i'm i'm teasing i'm just teasing well but let me just complete that sentence i don't think they really disagree that they are not China, I believe that most people in Hong Kong 
are very aware that <laughs> they are different from the remaining part of China. But also, when I do a lot of hiking, and here mm. and there it says free Hong Kong, and I would pose the question: What are you trying to free yourself from <laughs> if you're already <laughs> if you're already independent nation? Or, yeah. or I, listen, I love Hong Kong, and I see a lot more than what I talk about because I am trying to promote the countries and places positively mm. and look mm. at the bright side. But it is tough for some people here, for sure. Anyway, let's so, move away so from that Palau? because uh, Palau uh, would have been the next one. But now, then all nine countries were off limits. They all closed their borders. One of them has opened up again. That's the last one. That's the Maldives. Yeah. And there are no ship connections from here to the Maldives. So like, it doesn't matter that it's now open and I can go to the Maldives. I cannot do it logistically. Um, the other, the other seven. You know, logistically can also be on. Uh, I mean. What do you mean logistically? What do you mean by that? You mean get on a, crate, uh, a container ship? Yeah, but there are no ships from here. But is that what you mean by logistically? Yes. Okay. Logistics doesn't work out. I cannot so cross land borders to get to the south of India and then find a boat from the south of India that might go to uh, the Maldives. Okay. Um, I cannot board a ship in Hong Kong that goes to the Maldives or connects anywhere because for two reasons. Or three reasons, maybe, really. One is that they're not going there from Hong Kong. That's not how it's connected. So mm. I'd have to get on one ship and get off somewhere and then go with another ship. Yeah. And that's not possible right now, even for the crew members. Sure. You know, that's, that's a tough yeah, job. They're, they're, they're out in the... Yeah. Then the ships, they don't want me right now because... You're a spreader. Heaven forbid. <laughs> I could bring the disease on board yeah. and they don't need to take that risk. Oh. You know, we saw it with the cruise ships. It mm. goes really fast. So you don't want to risk that. So that's another thing. And on top of that, um, as far as I'm informed, Hong Kong is not allowing non-essential personnel to go on board container ships right now. And I'm non-essential to the ships. Mm -hmm. So that should be Hong Kong Immigration and the Hong Kong Maritime Organization. Mm. That um, that's, it's, it's temporary, but that's the situation we're in. Mm. So logistically, I, I can't get there. Um, then there's the bureaucracy on top of it. I might be able to solve the bureaucracy, but logistically it's not possible. Do you have any um, seafaring experience? Are you, do you know how to do well, like sailing? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that. Not kayaking. I mean, it sounds like you might want to get a, a bit of a skipper's license or something and then, and then yeah. see what you can do. And then just but the borders just are closed, so you, you can't get into these countries. No. You, I think there is an international agreement that you can get on these boats and you, you, you cannot be forbidden from arriving at, at these countries am i right i no, think i'm no, right no you're not right really yeah, yeah. they this, can turn you away there was this guy no, from no. there's this guy from singapore who's an experienced uh, sailor he had there was his lifelong dream to go out and explore the in the after in the late days of his years or his late days of his life or what i'm trying to say but anyway so he had a sailboat and he wanted to go out and, and explore the pacific he just wanted to go to fiji some of the other nice islands and and meet and see and taste some coconut wine and whatnot. And he knew what he was doing. Like he got on his boat, it was a proper sailboat. He has everything he needs, a satellite phone and autopilot and supplies, fuel, all of it, and went out and COVID hit. And he became one of the most isolated people on this planet. And the, you know, the Coast Guard was chasing him off from one nation to the other. And at some point he was running out of supplies like I need fuel and food you know I can't catch enough fish uh, water and whatnot I need help and they were chasing him away and then his tactics turned to let 
let's go to the smallest island I can find because they won't know. They, they have no cars, no nothing, but they will have water and food and then I'll be able to resupply with them and, and work something out. And that's what really surprised him. This was clear in the article that even the smallest places were waving him away and going like, Corona, Corona, go away, go away, go away. Then his satellite phone connected with Singapore going like, I need help. This has become an emergency, I need help. And they were trying to negotiate and he tried to go to several countries and so on and couldn't. And then eventually he, he went somewhere where the coast guards were willing to take his money. So he'd put that in a life raft and then send the life raft out. And then they would take the money, they would go shopping, they would get fuel, water, they would get some noodles and this kind of stuff. And then dump that in the life raft and push it back to him. And then he could go for a bit. And then his government eventually negotiated that he could come alongside in Fiji where he had to quarantine for 14 days in spite of having been alone for months. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's so during that's, that's dur during during pandemics that's that and that's right uh, now there is not a single government that's going to change anything until the vaccination falls through. Mm. You know, that, so these vaccination programs that's what all the governments are there are countries that are wide open and have been wide open throughout all of this. There are travelers that are going left and right they're getting on airplanes or this guy, he traveled in 15 countries with his car somewhere in for northern Europe towards Western Asia. You can travel if you're in the right part of the world. If you're in Hong Kong and you're not flying, you're in Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just the way it is. No doubt you've you've probably looked at every single sort of. Uh, I've been here for three hundred and forty <laughs> days. I have tried. <laughs> but there's another consideration. What would I be trading Hong Kong for? Imagine I get to go on a ship and come inside Palau, and then I can't leave Palau. Yeah. Would I want to trade Hong Kong for Palau, and and, and stick around there for another six months in Palau? Mm. There is far less opportunity in Palau. Mm. You know, I might as well wait until I know I can go to Palau and leave Palau and go to the next place, right? Yeah. So you need to you need to consider that as well. Opportunity costs there. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not a bad place getting a oh, hold up. Yeah. Brilliant. I, I completely <laughs> lucked out. It was so likely that I would get stuck on board a ship, spending more time on ships than can anywhere you imagine else. Imagine that. Jesus, that would even be that. worse. Pulling out my own teeth. Oh, God. There have been suicides and there have been mutiny and there's been this and that at sea. This is not the common, this is not the norm, but people get stressed out being on these ships, not being able to go uh, home, knowing that their family is in a country where COVID is off the hook. Um, it gets to people. Not knowing is a lot worse than knowing in many cases. Sure. I mean, recently there was a... I think wave number two or wave number three was <laughs> came about because of seafarers uh, yeah, coming down and, and and wave number two wave number two I think so yeah because uh, they could just walk in so yeah. could the pilots and a number of businessmen were able to just fly in as well yeah then and they I, stopped that and the general population I remember the general population they were like oh we don't want that you know we were the equivalent of those islanders saying no go away go away go away yeah. and then and then you know the people the, the politicians who were talking they say that's very inhumane yeah. to leave them out there but absolutely then wave number three were people who left hong kong thinking we're going to go home where there is no COVID, and then uh, they can burn it out in asia 
and mm. then it went pandemic and they went oh it's a lot safer to be in hong kong and they came home to hong kong and uh, spread the virus and people were able to ho home quarantine and mm. people just come and visit them and this kind of stuff yeah yeah so then that stopped and yeah there's a lot of learning by doing in, in this and then the fourth wave was sugar mommy sugar mommies oh good stuff yeah, yeah. it was an, a nightclub with um um uh, the, 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 the government tactfully called them the dancing group, <laughs> whereas in actual in actuality it's a it's a it's a bunch of maybe you know sixty seventy year old wealthy wealthy women uh, having parties in in clubs and and younger 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 men yeah. coming around and they're all disco partying. Oh, it's great fun, great fun. Well, yeah. So just to because I, I'm sorry, I'll I'll have to go. For no, this, no, so. that's fine. But just to we, round off, which countries are, are missing? So. Sure. There's Palau, there's uh, still Tuvalu and Vanuatu and okay. Samoa and Tonga. Okay. And those are five quite small island nations in the Pacific. Yes. And then there are four more, which are New Zealand and Australia and Sri Lanka and Maldives. Okay, so you've not been to Australia then? I've been to Australia in my lifetime, but I haven't ah, been there within the project. This. Okay, okay. The same goes for uh, New Zealand. New Zealand yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'll need to go back to Fiji to connect several of those islands. Each of them are independent countries? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. Vanuatu and uh, Tuvalu and Samoa and Tonga are independent right. countries. Fiji is an independent country. And I've been to Fiji mm. and I left some of my belongings there thinking, well, I'll be back in a few months. That's more than a year ago. <laughs> so it's, it's known that the remaining nine countries will take 10 months or more to complete. And this is because of the sailing schedules this is because of the speed, you know, the time it takes to travel between like it's vast, vast ocean. It's 12 days from here to Palau. Mm. Think about that. That's the closest one. I mean, yeah. And then there's the frequency between the ships as well. Yeah. So a ship might come and then uh, do cargo operations for a number of hours. Yeah. And then the next one comes three weeks later, uh, something <laughs> like this. So you put all of that together and that's 10 months the remaining nine countries are that's 10 months that's the way it is and then on top of that you'll have cyclones and delays and complications and the unknown and so on so i'm not getting home you know next year if i'm yeah. sticking to this yeah, yeah yeah well i'm sure i'll see you again yeah we're gonna go have beers i mean it'll help you kill help you kill time it'll be <laughs> wonderful <laughs> Okay, let's wrap this up then. Thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for the conversation. Cool. All right. I'm going to give this a bit of a, a whack. Okay. Good stuff. The, no, the software lines up all the... It, 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 creates a, it creates a spike, and then yeah. the software lines everything up for me. So okay. all the, I don't have lip-syncing problems. Okay. That's... Um,